have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 3675. So sit back, relax, and remember Southern Sense is common sense. to find chaos and plenty of empty shells. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan, to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot Supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And it's only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-441. 7290. This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last up to 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, and it's called Southern Sense, and you know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, and click on the icon for My Patriot Food. 
All right. You're here listening to Southern Sense, and Annie's screwing everything up already before we even start. Welcome to Southern Sense. You're listening live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube. Out of heck with it. Go to the name of the show. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the not the mostest today, Annie, the radio chick, along with my co-host, who is going, what the hell is she doing to me today, Curtis? Hey, it's Friday. Good afternoon, Curtis. It's Friday. Those things are acceptable. Yeah, you know, I, I thought I had the video up on YouTube, not YouTube, Facebook. And I don't see it anywhere. I'm looking everywhere for it, and I don't see it. So, guys, yeah, I'm trying. It's not working, and whatever. <laughs> so welcome, everyone that's listening in the chat room, also in the studio. If I can ever figure out how to get myself back on Facebook, I'll do it. <laughs> Until then, I give up. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we got ourselves <laughs> you know, – I've lost it. I've completely lost it. Um, we've got ourselves oh, a you- great guest. We've got Dr. Yeah, go ahead, Curtis. Oh, I was just going to say, hey, technology, isn't it great? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a techno dweeb today. I don't know. Anyway, great guest. Used- we got Dr. Bruce Hartman, who's got a new book coming out called uh, Your Faith Has Made You Well, A Radical New Way to Create Peace and Hope. He'll be on with us at the start of the show. Uh, halfway through, we have Dr. Alvita King, uh, the evangelist. Uh, she has the civil rights for the unborn.org. Uh, she's also with Priest for Life. She'll be with us for a short visit. And then we're going to end the show with John Riddell. He's the founder of Faith and Freedom Coalition in Denver. And also he's got a new project out there called Vote Kingdom. Uh, we're going to be talking to him about that. Uh, so it's going to be an absolutely wonderful show. I will be here next Friday. My surgery has once again been postponed. Until my cardiologist gives me the green stamp, uh, I ain't going anywhere for a while. Uh, it looks like maybe the end of December uh, will be the next surgery that I'll have. If the cardiologist uh, lets me have it. <laughs> I mean, when they call you at 6.30 at night on a Friday uh, and <laughs> they're mad at you, uh, there's a problem. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oh, good luck. Uh, it's always it's always another fun day here. Anyway, Curtis, uh, let's get moving along. Anyone that listens to our show knows that we start off with a dedication to a fallen hero. And before we uh, do that, uh, fans of the show know that I am a big NASCAR fan. Um, I've had family that runs in NASCAR. Uh, I mean, I've been, I grew up with NASCAR. And my shout-out goes to the Earnhardt family. Dale Earnhardt Jr., his wife, his new baby girl, his dog, and two pilots survived, thankfully, with no major injuries, a plane crash yesterday afternoon in Elizabethton, uh, Tennessee, about 15 miles away from Bristol Racetrack. Um, His plane went down yesterday afternoon about uh, 20 minutes to 3 our time. Thankfully, they all got out. They were at the end of the runway. The plane, as I understand, bounced twice, went through the fence. The fence wrapped around the plane. And God was with them, I'm telling you, because it did not wrap and block the door to exit. They were able to get off the plane, all of them safely. Uh, There's a video, I believe, on USA Today 
And if you were to see this, the plane is engulfed in, in flames as a stranger runs across the highway and helps get them out of the plane. Uh, God bless the men and women out there that rush to the site uh, and help get them out of there to safety. And he's not going to be broadcasting this weekend. He will be broadcasting when they come here to South Carolina and Darlington. So my prayers go out to their family and to all the NASCAR fans. They're okay. And <laughs> the race goes on. Anyway. Uh, I didn't know it was that bad. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it is. And the NSTB is out there fire. doing their investigation. Yeah. Uh, you can see the flames and the smoke coming out from the main cabin. Um, but they were able, like I said, all of them, including the dog, <laughs> were able to get to safety. Uh, that said, two, the, the uh, emergency first responders out there, thank you for a job well done to the individual that came out of nowhere, the gentleman in an orange shirt, never identified, uh, who came the first one on the scene to help them out of that plane. God bless you, sir. You are a great American hero. And that said, today's show is dedicated to another American hero who lost his life on March 19th of this year, is going to go out to Deputy Sheriff Ryan Shane Thompson, of Kittius County Sheriff's Office out of the state of Washington. And this comes from several sources. One is from Fox News, another is from Yahoo.com, and the third is from his obituary that was listed in the Union Bulletin. And the first part reads, Deputy Ryan Thompson, 42, was shot and killed, and a police officer was wounded after they exchanged gunfire with a road rage driving suspect. A small community in central Washington state mourned the sheriff's deputy who was killed in a shootout with a road rage driving suspect, remembering the veteran officer as a family man and one of our finest. Sheriff's Deputy Ryan Thompson was shot on Tuesday, March 19th of this year after he and Kittyus Officer Benito Chavez, 22, responded to a driving complaint and attempted to stop a vehicle. After a short pursuit, the suspect exited the car and exchanged gunfire with the officers, killing Thompson and wounding Chavez. The suspect was also shot and later died. Our community has a very heavy heart today. Last night, we lost one of our finest, Kittyus County Sheriff Jean Dana said at a news conference the next morning. It was the first fatal shooting of a law enforcement officer in the rural county in 92 years, he said. Our community has a very heavy heart today, and last night we lost one of our finest. The tight-knit community of 1,500 was stunned that such violence could descend on the town, whose website brands it as a place without the crime, noise, traffic jams, and pollution of larger cities, the Seattle Times reported. For this to happen here, it's insane. You don't get that here, said Ethan Keaton, a 17-year-old high school student, as he spoke to the newspaper. Maybe you get pulled over for a DUI or speeding. You don't get people shot here, Josh Dunn, a 20-year-old who grew up in the town, told the paper. I don't even have a word for it. Thompson, a 15-year law enforcement veteran, 
is survived by his wife and three children, according to a Fox 13 Seattle report. Chavez was shot in a leg and suffered a shattered femur. Ellensburg Police Chief Ken Wade said he was airlifted to a hospital following the shootout and was listed in satisfactory condition. He and his wife are expecting their first child, Fox 13 reported. The Kittyus Police Department is an agency of three. I'm going to repeat that, an agency of only three, including the chief. The department relies on state patrol, Ellisburg Police, and the sheriff's office for help. Kittyus Police Chief Chris Taylor said. Forgive me as I fumble with these papers. And finally, from his obituary in the Union Bulletin, Ryan Shane Thompson was born in Walla Walla on August 24, 1976. That was when his adventure began and never stopped, even to the instant of his heroic death. Ryan attended public schools in Walla Walla and was well-known and admired for his gregarious and generous attitude toward everyone he met. In high school, he excelled at the sports of football and wrestling, not because he was a gifted athlete, but because his grit and determination drove him past the possibility of limitation. His senior year in high school, was, he was crowned homecoming king. Ryan's love of wrestling took him to Northern Idaho College, where he wrestled and made many lifelong friends. Still wanting to continue wrestling, he chose to attend Central Washington University and wrestled there. He used to joke that the eight years it took him to graduate college made him an honorary doctor. But the truth is that interspersed with his schooling, he pursued his many, many interests and hobbies, not the least of which was traveling and exploring the world. He spent time in Mexico, South America, and Spain. He was an avid and accomplished outdoorsman. He hiked and hunted. He peaked Mount Rainier and many other mountains in Washington, but his favorite outdoor activity was fishing, most particularly fly fishing. His ability to hook numerous fish while his buddies came home empty-handed was notorious and envy-provoking. He introduced inspired many friends and family members to try their hands at fishing, but also at exploring and appreciating the natural world. This love of nature is one of the reasons he decided to call the excellently situated town of Ellensburg his lifelong home. Always a helper, a doer, and peacemaker, Ryan decided to follow in the footsteps of his father and older brother, whom he admired and loved so dearly, and chose a career in law enforcement. He worked some years at the Kittyus County Correctional Facility the Central Washington University Police Department, and he eventually became a Kittyus County deputy. Ryan could speak with some knowledge on any topic imaginable. He loved debate and learning. He was always learning and longing for more knowledge. He read books vicariously and was always challenging himself with the beginnings of new languages. In 2008, Ryan met the love of his life, Sarah Hitstunman, he wooed her with his spontaneous, his sponta- spontaneity, humor, and adventurousness, and eventually his gourmet cooking. They were a perfect pair. 
her steadfast practicality and responsibility, and his fly-by-the-seat-of-his-pants whims. They built a home with three beautiful children. Together they planned and schemed and dreamed. Those dreams live on. Their home is known for its sculpted garden and unforgettable parties, bringing friends and family together because that is what Ryan loved most of all, togetherness. At the most amazing wedding ever in 2013, hundreds of guests were treated to hundreds of bottles of Ryan's home-brewed beer, homemade wine, and a pig wrapped in banana leaves and buried in the earth with hot stones, Hawaiian style. That's just who he was. That was a wedding no one in attendance will ever forget. Ryan will also be so, so missed. He is the son, brother, husband, father, and friend of our highest aspirations. The world now has a gigantic hole that was filled by his exuberance, vivacity, and love of life. He always had a smile on his face, a smile that we will never know how many people's days it must have brightened, how many lives were bettered by his very being. The ones who will feel this hole the most are his precious children, who he encouraged and taught and provided for, as well as unbelievably strong wife Sarah, who has been robbed of the life they were only beginning to realize. Ryan willingly laid down his life for the love and protection of his fellow human beings. He lived without regret, but his loss is regretted by so many, including his mother, Catherine Thompson, his father, Terry Thompson, his brothers, Aaron, Brandon, I'm sorry, and their children, his adopted brother, John, and his family and wife, Sarah, his dear children, Madison, Pepper, and Archer Thompson, Sarah's family, uncles, aunts, cousins, and far too many friends to count. Ryan always liked there was no tomorrow. He lived like there was no tomorrow. And until the next day, he did it again, gardening, sculpting, visiting friends and family, learning, loving, letting us all do the same. Today's show is dedicated to Deputy Sheriff Ryan Shane Thompson. It is also dedicated to all those first responders out there who work, whether or not they are law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there who serve in our military from the birth of this great nation through today and into its wonderful future. We dedicate this song Uh, I'm sorry. It's going to take me a few seconds here. We dedicate this song My Name is America by Todd Allen Herndon. May God bless each and every one. Freedom has never been free. 
All right, Todd Allen Harrington, my name is Murphy, and you get that by going to ToddAllenShow.com. Oh, God, uh, you're here listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Lone Star Daily News, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, all the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle of Southern-Sense.com. Of course, you know I'm the hostess with the mostest who's nuts today <laughs> with my co-host, Curtis <laughs> C.S. You're not nuts. And we've got... 
<laughs> I swear <laughs> I think I am today. Oh, man. Uh, I, I, I'm completely upside down. Anyway, I've got the man to make me feel better on the line here with us today. <laughs> Returning to our show, always so much to have fun to have on, Dr. Bruce Hartman. Good afternoon, Dr. Hartman. Are you sorry that you're with us today? Because I'm nuts. <laughs> I really lost <laughs> No, I'm delighted to be with you, and thank you for inviting me. It's always a delight to be with you and Curtis. Oh, it is so much thank pleasure. We really, I keep saying this to all my guests, but I've had so many over the last 10 years. i got a, a thick phone book that I haven't even finished going through. If I go through just the A's, I probably could finish all the shows for the rest of the year, but I really do have to keep on getting you back on. You know, you've got a new book coming out. And unfortunately, AJ did not send me a copy of it, which he normally does. So I'm winging all this off the top of my head. Uh, the title of your new book, due out in September 3rd, is Your Faith Has Made You Well, a radical new way to create peace and hope that people can find uh, up on your website, which is your name, uh, brucelhartman.com, or going to Amazon. Um, Tell us about this book briefly, because I have a funny idea. Having read your first book, Jesus and Company, um, I kind of have a good idea of where you're going to go with this. But I want to hear from you, and then we're going to work from there. Yeah, so on the, on, in terms of sending out the book, um, it's actually at the printer today. And the first ah. copies won't be, you know, the advanced copies, which you would know have to you. Those won't be available to next week, but you'll be one of the first people that I put it in the mail to, Annie. So, um, what a great the book. The, <laughs> so the, the book is about it, when, when you read the Bible, when you read the Gospels, and this is very Gospel-centric, Jesus says eight times, your faith has made you well. So... As a, as a theologian, you always think about when something's repetitive, it's important. And the fact that it's said eight times in the Gospels is important. And that's probably as much as any verse is said in the Gospels. But we don't often talk about this. Your faith has made you well. And, you know, the, I always, uh, well, the, the start of the book of the preface starts with the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. And so I took that apart, and I thought about, um, you know, we all know the story. She touched Jesus' cloak, she gets healed, and she goes on. But there's a big, there's a deeper story. There's a woman, first of all, she had had this illness for 12 years. She was ostracized from her community. So the fact that she could even be in a place where Jesus would be took a tremendous amount of effort on her part to be able to get over there. Second thing is she was a woman in a very patriarchal society. So, to, again, to get close to Jesus would have taken a lot of effort on her part. And the third thing to always remember is wherever Jesus went, it would be like Elvis in any of our cities today. Like we knew Elvis was coming to uh, Boston or San Francisco. There'd be throngs to see him. And Jesus, it was the same way in the first century. People just loved to be around Jesus certainly knowing that perhaps this was God, this was the Messiah. Okay, so we'd have these huge clouds, so crowds. So think about what this woman did. She had to fight through being ostracized. She had to fight through being a woman. And she had to fight through big crowds to work her way to get close enough to Jesus to touch his cloak 
And what Jesus said to her was, Arise, daughter, your faith has made you well. And she was healed. So as I started thinking about it in the other seven circumstances, I said, this is, this is the answer to how we can develop a relationship with Jesus. It's about having a mutual relationship with Jesus and not treating him as if he's a genie. And I think so many times we're all guilty of that. We get in trouble. We say, God, please help me out of this. But it's also, you know, God isn't, God and Jesus, they're not, that's not how they work. They work with us. They don't work for us. And I think that that's what this, this means. So what I did was, is I went and I interviewed dozens of people, read lots of stories. And just like in Jesus and company, you have the biblical passage um, with a brief explanation of what, what that passage meant, some of the historical context. And then out of these interviews, I started putting people in place that could help explain this is what Jesus meant. Like, for instance, the centurion, the story of the centurion. I actually interviewed a two-star, former two-star general in our U.S. Army, a great man of faith, similar to the centurion, and, and tell his story and compare it to the centurion. So that's the structure of the book. I, haven't, I hope I haven't gone on too long, but that was how we put it together, and that was what the inspiration was. Well, you know, when I was, you know, looking at the description that, you know, your guy sent over to me, um, one of the things that hits me is that one of the uh, opening prayers we normally say in our church services is you end up not reciting, but, you know, uh, praying. Um, Oh, uh, I'm trying to, I just, it just went completely out of my mind. Oh my goodness. I told you I've gone nuts today. Um, <laughs> that, that we were given basically two commandments. I'm going to paraphrase it. Uh, cause I know I'm going to mess this up. Um, basically paraphrase it. Um, two commandments and all the laws and all the prophets is that thou shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind and all thy soul. And the second is like unto it. And thou shall love thy neighbor as thyself. And, that goes through my mind. But whenever I try to deal with people, uh, I always ask, how do I want to be treated? And then treat that person with the same way you want to be treated. Uh, but we look at today's society, and we're seeing people demand that we accept whatever they are, and we must act by whatever dictate they place upon us. Instead of saying, wait a minute, I'm dealing with another fellow human being here, uh, what would happen if I was treated the very same way I'm treating this person. But we don't have people right. thinking that way. And I, this is the biggest no, we, problem we have in our study. Uh, well, I think, it's, I think it's one of the two biggest problems we have. But I do think it's uh, tied, and I'll, I'll mention what I think the other one is. But this point that you're talking about is our rhetoric has turned into how the three of us used to act when we were in the – in kindergarten, and in a in a sandbox, you know, we one person offends the other one, so the other one offends the other one, and then pretty soon you don't even know who offended somebody first. And I think as a, as a society, we're drifting away from the second commandment, uh, what our responsibility is, and it's remarkable how quickly it's happened, um, and it's something. It's a phenomenon that's really happened over the last, I would say, 10 to 15 years. But you are right. This is a huge societal problem, and it's separating families and 
ending friendships and our our national dialogue is extraordinarily fractured. We can't get Congress to do anything. Um, and you know, and I do think that paying attention to the Second Commandment would certainly resolve that. And I think the other thing, Annie, is I think that um, we've stopped going to church. So we stopped seeing humankind as who they are. And in, in terms of Genesis 127, we're all made in God's image. And I think that that's the second piece of this, is that if we look at each other as made by God, I think that would clear up a lot as well. You know, it, it would. Um, but also we have to remember, we're in a technological age like we have never seen. In the past, right. if you wanted news, you would go down to the local barbershop or the local <laughs> inn or, you know, or to church. And the church at right. that in our early American history was the center of everything. And you think about that. Where did the American Revolution actually start? It started with the Black Robe Regiment reminding us that we are creations of God. And that God is the ultimate power. Hence the Declaration of Independence declaring God and our unalienable, unalienable rights under God. And I, right. I have to laugh, though. I was listening to uh, XM Radio, and I don't remember if it was on Wilkow or if it was on Sean Hannity, uh, but they had John Rich out of Big and Rich on, and he's doing this Made in America thing. I believe it's in Memphis, Tennessee uh, next month or in October, and he was quoting the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, but he said, in the Constitution, it guarantees us life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and I'm going, oops. Someone mixed their documents up. <laughs> right. But this, this is the problem. We're in such a technological age. We no longer have those centers where we would congregate face to face. You go to a restaurant or anywhere, everyone's buried into their smart devices, which I'm, they're not really that smart. We're really that stupid to rely on them. I mean, how many right. times you right. walk through the grocery store or anywhere else, and you hear a conversation go, and you think someone's talking to you, you turn around, and it's an earbud. And they've got a conversation going on over the telephone. And checking out lines in the grocery store. And how rude is that? It drives me crazy. But we're not congregating anymore. We're not talking to each other anymore. Yeah, and, and also, uh, the, the other thing you didn't mention is if, if you go back a few decades, uh, and I, I know the two of you will remember these, front porches, you know, where neighbors would walk by and stop and talk to people on front porches. We don't have front porches anymore either. Um, so th th this point of a, a, a depersonalized society is very, very real and relevant. And as you were talking, I was talking about what annoyed you. You know, I was, I was, it was on my list as well. Like I, you know, when you're at a grocery store and all of a sudden you hear this voice and you think they're talking to you, but they don't. It's there's kind of a, a lack of awareness of what boundaries are, what we should say, how we should say it, and when is it appropriate, when isn't it appropriate. And I think we've become very depersonalized, and I think you're 100% right in your observations. Dr. Harmon. Yeah, it's funny. I, oh, go ahead, Curtis. Yeah, I look around, and, and I see how people um, interact or don't interact, and most of it has to do with technology 
I mean, think about it. You you have a family of four going on a vacation, and in the back seat, you know, one kid may be on his video game, the other may be um, trolling, to, you know, the internet, Facebook, whatever. Mom is in the front, you know, with her headphones on, you know, um, on her phone, and Dad, he's trying to drive, so nobody's interacting. I mean, I when this first came out, the the Bluetooth, I, I used to see people talking and I'm like, who are they talking to? <laughs> but society and technology has made it. So you really don't have to interact with other people. You know, you, you use technology as a surrogate or a pathway to um, reach others, but nobody's really doing it on a personal level as prevalent as it was when we were growing up. But, and I, I also was raised on something called the golden rule, which I think um, comes from Matthew seven twelve which is, um, so in everything to, to others, what you would have them do to you. For the sum, this sums up the law of God and the prophets. And I don't, I don't see that being practiced anymore. I don't even hear it being taught, the golden rule. So I really think we should create some kind of class in school called wisdom and common sense interaction or something like that. What are your thoughts? How about etiquette? Etiquette. That too. And civics. We just lost our guest. Oh, my goodness. He, his call just dropped off. All I right, tell you, Curtis, technology. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try to get him back, Curtis. If if you would be so kind, keep on going with that train oh, of thought while I try to get my guest back. All right? Hang on. All righty. Well, continue on that line of thought. I mean, People have been doing this for years, sitting in front of a TV, watching the Super Bowl and things like that, the Stanley Cup, you know, Cup playoffs. And even though we were focused on the television, there were usually friends around us with a bowl of popcorn, maybe a couple of beers or whatever. So we really, you know, we still interacted, even though we were absorbed, you know, with what was going on yeah, television. Well, you get disconnected again uh, so that way you can call directly back. It's uh, 917-889-3675. It's the tolls out there. <laughs> All right. Let me, okay. uh, let me bring you back on. <laughs> okay. okay. So I, you probably didn't but hear what I, I did, said. I, by, by the way, Curtis, I did answer you, but I don't think I was on the air. I think the point okay. that you made about the golden golden rule is 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 very important, and I I would be the first to say I want to go to that class. Number one, number two, the other point you made about technology is reducing our ability to have interpersonal relation skills. You're 100 percent right, um, and how we learn that is as the way you were talking about it. You learn that in your family. You learn you mirror your parents, and then from you test and experiment unknowingly with your parents and your siblings what works and what doesn't work, what's fair and what isn't fair. So if you're on your phone, you're not learning that. If you're on your iPad, you're not learning that. But if you're talking to each other, that's a great education for you. So I think there's wonderful observations on your part, Curtis. Well, you know, uh, Dr. Hartman, there was something I saw in the news yesterday, and it it prompted a uh, 
actually there was a couple of things I saw in the news that prompted a conversation between my husband and I. And God, I, I love my husband. God bless him because it, he didn't think the same way I did. <laughs> it would be World War 14 in this house. Uh, but one of the things is there was a school uh, that was, is it Arkansas? I think it's statewide that they passed a law stating that in God we trust must be displayed prominently in each and every public school. I, if I'm incorrect, if it's not Arkansas, someone in the chat room, uh, correct me, please. And the other thing that struck me as this state was passing this law, mandating that, you know, you place now in God we trust uh, in order to make people behave more civilly. That's the idea of the, the law. We're listening to these Democratic candidates out there talking about free college and free pre-K. And I thought to my husband, my husband, who happens to have been a refugee from World War II, his family fled uh, a Soviet-occupied country and then emigrated wow. to the United States when he was just a, a baby. Uh, so they're familiar with what was going on. And as my father was a World War II veteran, I'm getting a little long-winded on this one, so... Uh, one of the things that Hitler did is that he controlled the public schools. He made it uh, uh, the public education system in Germany available to everyone, uh, starting with kindergarten all the way up. And then he started moving into the pre-K. And the idea was is that you get the child as young as possible to then indoctrinate the child to whatever the state wants you to believe. Now, you think about this with the Democrats out there, and now they're offering pre-K, uh, free pre-K as well as free college. We have a huge problem with our education system. And you're, you mentioned that it should start in the family, but the family has now abrogated their responsibility to the school system. We don't have to really raise our child. Up, we have them up until the age of, say, one or two. Then we throw them into pre-K at the age of two or three. Then the public school system takes over until they turn 18. And then we ship them off to free college uh, for the next 8, 10, 12 years. It doesn't matter because the government's paying for it. and We don't have to rear the child. Isn't this what we see happening, causing a lot of what we see today? Yeah, and that's the potential. You know, what you're talking about is the potential, um, and it, it's it's what happened in um, the, the Soviet, well, the um, the Iron Curtain countries, as well as it happened also in Nazi Germany. Um, when, when we start, we, as parents, when we start assigning our responsibility to state institutions, you set up the framework where the state is going to raise your children. And do you want that? Um, and I don't think we do. And I don't think God wants that. I think God wants us as fathers to, um, to raise our children, teach them character, teach them how to, um, how to say things, how to do things, and what's right and what's wrong. And, and the same is with mothers. You want to have this mirroring of what does a mother look like? What is a, how does a mother act? How does a mother teach character? How does a mother show and you don't get that in a where you have farmed out your children. So I'm a big believer in the kids should be with the parents as much as they should. And one of the things we also, I think, need to return to is we need to start keeping the kids in church. And too often I'll go to church. It didn't happen to me this past Sunday, but too often I'll go to church and I'll see the kids go to children's time. Well, they're part of the congregation. We're all 
part of the body of Christ. We, we should all be working with our children and not assigning the responsibility of raising them to somebody else. But this danger point you're talking about is very real, particularly when people start making the assumption they can do a better job raising our children than we can. No, this is true. And, you know, um, my husband and I missed service this, this past Sunday. Um, and I, I really, really do enjoy going because it, it helps remind you. And then at that point, you do intermingle with people that you only see once a week. But you start to exchange right. news. You know, have you been doing? You interact. And we are um, uh, uh, social animals. We really are social yep. animals. When you take away that social interaction, that is where you see people malfunctioning. There's no other way to describe it. Where you see these mass shootings because they no longer look at their fellow human being as a person but an object or a thing in their way to be removed. And then you add in right. uh, what Hollywood has done to us, what these uh, games have been done to this where you end up getting points for the more people you kill or run over or whatever you dehumanize the fellow man you're no longer a a person you're a thing you're a number you're an object or as in obamacare you're a unit the dehumanization is what has occurred the this point you're bringing up is um, i think ties back to the first point you made as well is are we as individuals objects or are we subjects? And what I mean by a subject is you are a person. So when you have to think about how you treat others and that it should be the same way you want it to be treated, um, removes the other person and yourself as being objects. Um, the other point you made, um, I, a lot of a lot of my friends are they, they're angry about gun guns, gun violence, and gun deaths, but they won't talk about the video games where you can kill a 1,000 people in 15 minutes, and if you do, you win the game. Um, That's also part of this depersonalization that's occurring in America. You know, it's funny because uh, my best friend and I, back in 1970, uh, um, were leaving a local store and there was this video game her sister got on, and she's giggling, and she's laughing, she's having a ball. And she's about two years older than I am, uh, her sister. And I look over her shoulder to see what it is. And it, remember the big old video games that had these huge boxes that stood up about five, six right. feet tall? But you're <laughs> so the old right. video games of the last millennia. Um, it was a game where she was running people over. The object of the game right. is... You get more points for the more people you drive over and kill. And she's having a field day laughing. And I said, oh, and here I am. I'm just out of high school. I'm going, "Uh, why are you playing something like that? I said, that's horrible. She said, oh, it's just in fun. It's not going to cause any problems. But just think about that. You have whole generations of people that grew up on games like that. That, To them, you're an object to be removed it's no longer you're no longer as you said a subject you're an object and this has been going on for decades and that's a scary scary thought that no one as you said is paying attention to 
Yeah, and it, it, it gets back to the point Cur- Curtis was making. What if we, instead of mandating when uh, the kids should start school, what if we mandated that we should be teaching the golden rule and make it a class? Um, I don't know many parents that wouldn't say yes to that. I don't know many adults that wouldn't like to go to that class. And, you know, that's a way to fight back. Um, and that's one of the values of going to church is, you know, to learn how to, to learn what God compels us to do, which is we are relational and, you know, we should strive to help our fellow person, our fellow beings. Well, you know, uh, let I- me, let me add this too. When, when you think about video games, like we were talking about and, and, People today not having respect for life, we look at it as objects. Think about anyone that looked at that video stream the other day when that guy was shooting at the Philadelphia police officers. In their eyes, it was probably just like another video game. You know, you, right. you shoot at people, you know, you get shot back at. And, and I mean, at what point in, in this society do we make the connection between you know the way we raising children today without any morals and um with with all this technology going on and, and and the lack of respect for life yeah that's uh that imagery is is very similar to the imagery you'll see on a video game and you know now it's real but have we really blurred the lines between that um you know between what's real and what's not real and are we giving people um, a, a way or another or another way to create mass destruction? And so here's an interesting point for you. Um, and it sounds like you and I come from the same generation. Do you remember street music? <laughs> <laughs> right. you know I'm sorry, again. Do you remember? Do you remember the streakers? And do you? Do you remember, oh, oh, yeah. do you know oh, how yeah. they ended that? Oh yeah. They ended the it 70s. by not sh- Huh? In the seventies. Yeah. Yeah, right. Seventies. Well how they ended that camp. is they stopped they stopped showing them. Uh huh. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So Yeah, so I remember the attention. I remember the song. I remember the song too, if people remember <laughs> <laughs> they call them the streaker. <laughs> yeah, I remember that fake. <laughs> That was that was a number one hit for a while. Oh, <laughs> Maybe it I was. should pull that up but, and play it. But what I, I noticed in People magazine this week on this point that you're bringing up, Curtis, is there was nothing about the shooter of El Paso and uh, Dayton. It was all about the victims. And I think if our press would spend more time on the the lives that were destroyed by this act as opposed to um, lifting up somebody that just killed um, 30 people in 30 seconds or whatever that time was. We shouldn't, we shouldn't honor that at all by showing it on TV or even discussing it. Uh, we did that with a streaker and now nobody's running out of the strand, stands naked at major sporting events, but it had gotten to be a real problem for the, all the sport leagues. And I think we've got to recognize more the victims and less the person that's creating the mayhem. And that, that's a huge amen on that one, which brings us back to the topic of your book about healing and, and bringing peace and hope. Um, because 
Trump went to El Paso and to Ohio to the shooting victims trying to bring healing. And he actually did not want himself, you know, photographed, you know, dealing with this because he wanted to give the victims the space to heal. And he was highly criticized for that. You know, here he's bringing the attention to the victims themselves, putting a human face on this tragedy. And he still cannot get the media to go along with him. And if the media had, how much more healing could have been done? Well, still can right. be done. Right. Well, so if if Donald Trump gave every American, found a way to give every American $10 million, they wouldn't have to work for the rest of their lives and they'd have infinite knowledge, CNN would still publish, or, or in some of our newspapers would still publish an article of why what he just did was wrong. If Donald Trump cured cancer or ended cancer forever, there'd still be a negative criticism. And I think that's one of the things that people, I think, need to understand is that our press really isn't being fair with us. This isn't Huntley Brinkley we're dealing with or Walter Cronkite. The press today is motivated by generating anxiety, and anxiety generates more watchers, and more watchers generates more ad revenue. And it's, um, it's a very difficult situation because people don't get the right information and they don't get the correct information. You know, it used to be a slogan, and as you said, we are of the same generation um, with the newspapers, that if it bleeds, it bleeds. And that ideal has now carried over into the new news media. Matter of fact, you wrote about it. Just to show you, I do pay attention to your website. Uh, you wrote an article called The Exhausted Majority. And this right. falls directly into that. The majority of Americans are exhausted with the bombardment of mainstream media. Yeah, and it's this. This came out of a study that uh, you know I've been feeling this, um, and with a number of my friends, uh, they've kind of retreated amongst themselves. They don't watch CNN. They don't watch Fox. Um, they're very careful what they talk about, and they really they express exhaustion. And the more I started, um, you know, talking to more and more people, I had a conversation with a woman I didn't even know last night. Um, at a party, and you know she she used the words i 'm exhausted from our politicians not playing well with each other i 'm exhausted from c n n publishing or, or showing obviously biased news and it, it 's a, a very real issue and it help, in my book, I talk about um, this healing that has to occur by learning what the real facts are and learning how to make sure you defend what you hear, what you see from the world of media. And one of the things I did 10 years ago when I started this journey is I didn't read a newspaper or listen to news other than the Boston Red Sox. If there was anything about the Red Sox, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't separate myself. Oh, you're, you're a glutton for punishment. <laughs> yes, I, well, in those days I was. Um, but you know what? Nothing changed other than I became much more aware of my friends, my family, um, and the things that I could control. And that's one of the ways we can heal ourselves is be very careful who you listen to and what you listen to. You know, it's it's funny because it, after 9-11, the only thing you would see on our TV for the longest time was Fox News. 
And back then, Fox News was more unbiased. Uh, lately, I find myself actually turning it off. It would be getting to a point where, you know, I used to love to listen to this person. Nah, let's switch the channel. And my husband and I have actually found, well, he figured out how to use our on our TV to bring up YouTube and bring up old movies and right. old right. TV shows. And we start to turn them on because it gives you a more interpersonal idea of what we as a society should be than listening to this nonstop yabba, yabba, yabba. Now, here am I one to talk. I've got a talk show. But I thankfully do it only one day a week, so I don't give people an overload. And I can get overloaded so very easily. And you do. You get exhausted. And there are times where I start to do my homework for a show, and I'll start collecting articles weeks in advance just so I have everything in my head when I talk to someone. And I'm talking from a point of knowledge, not stupidity. But even that is no longer happening with people. No one's taking the time to find out if what they're hearing in the news is even the truth. And it's an overload. It, it, it is uh, it's intense. And I think it's one of the things we were talking about earlier is the various sources of in the digital age that we have. Um, and there's, there, there's so much bigger than they used to be. So the, the national media and the regional media they're fighting for our attention and what they, how they think they can win is by being sensational. But by being sensational, they're exhausting us. And uh, unfortunately, like everything, it will have its day, but we haven't gotten to that point where it's had its day yet. Now, and, and you, you turn the TV on, you turn the news on, and 15 minutes later, it's the same topic being rehashed again. And you walk away, right. you turn the TV off, or you tr- change the channel. Two hours later, you go back to the news. Again, it's the same exact topic being rehashed. So what they want is that you to turn it on all the time, all day. And as you go about your business, you, know, you just walk through, all right, yeah, I quit that one. But they're actually now forcing audiences away, and they don't realize that. No, and uh, the reason why that's the reason why they're losing share. Here's an interesting statistic for you. If you take the combination of CNN's um, primetime news viewership and add it to Fox, you only have 5% of the viewers in America. Wow. And you think, yeah, so where did these people go? And that's why I use that term, the exhausted majority. They're doing exactly what you said. They're, they're going to YouTube. Um, they'll, watch, they'll watch Jeopardy. They'll watch The Wheel of Fortune. But people aren't watching this anymore other than the very fringe on either the left or the right. And, um, and, and those people really believe what they're seeing is true, and it's not. Yeah, the funny thing is, is you know, I've got my stepson you know, visiting with us. And he was asking, well, did you see this reality show? Did you? I don't watch reality TV, period. You know, uh, to me, I think it's another attack on the moral fabric of America. Because if you've got people out there dating and cheating or getting, planning to get married and cheating and sleeping around and doing all these crazy immoral things, I think it's another attack at the moral fa- fabric of America. So if you're not watching the news, then you're switching over to reality TV for the entertainment value. But what is it doing to 
your moral value. Well, and it's dumbing down our personal characters. And what a lot of people don't know is that's really not reality TV. That's highly orchestrated um, material that's being presented to you. What you think is um, two people controlling their action really isn't. It's really being controlled by the director and the producer and the coordinators of the uh, these reality shows. And it always stuns people when I point that out to them and show them the clues that will tell you that this isn't real. This was orchestrated. So even reality TV oh, isn't reality. Oh, absolutely. Matter of fact, uh, <laughs> my husband and I love these murder mystery shows. And I think Perry mm. Mason, the new Perry Mason, and, you know, when he came back before he passed away, did a whole murder mystery around one of these reality TV shows showing how well it's orchestrated. Now, if, we, if this was exposed in the 1990s by fellow Hollywood people, why is it now, three decades later, the American public still hasn't gotten it into their head that they're being hoodwinked? Yeah, and that's the, I mean, that's, this is all part of the dumbing down of America. Um, and I don't believe it's just systemic or orchestrated that it's more coincidental because of the rise of technology um, and how closely tied revenue is to viewership. And that's what motivates um, what we see. And, it's, and it is dumbing us down. Um, and the, the, really the only way around this is that we start protesting as, as you and your husband have done with YouTube. By the way, I, I watch YouTube. So the only two things I watch on TV are one sports, the Red Sox, the Patriots. I can throw that uh, free slug in, I guess. <laughs> no, you're doing an accent that away at all, does it? <laughs> but, you know, the, one of the great things about YouTube is because I study, I study Christianity a lot and I study the great figures of Christianity. You go on YouTube and I recently um, watched a whole bunch of stuff on St. Francis of Assisi. Well, what what better source? And these it's by educators, it's by um, people that are professors and knowledgeable people. Or if you want to know about Martin Luther, you can certainly go on there. I'm a big fan of uh, Robert Kennedy, and spent the previous two weeks studying Robert Kennedy's speeches, and they're they're wonderful speeches. And but the reason, one of the reasons why I do that is I don't want my mind polluted. I, I want to know about great people. I want to know about great things. And I think as Americans, that should be our thirst, not to figure well, out I, who's dating who. All right. Well, I, I got a question for you right here before we go any further. When you said Robert Kennedy, you're not meaning Senator Ted Kennedy, do you? No, I'm meaning uh, RFK. His brother. Uh, oh. Yes, oh, all right. JFK's brother. Yeah, Robert F. Kennedy. You know, Robert Kennedy. Uh, Bobby. Yeah, Bobby. That's a, yeah, that's Bobby. A, yeah, yeah, Bobby Kennedy. And he, he has six outstanding speeches that you can see on YouTube. And you today will be inspired by what this man had to say about race relations, about government, about violence, about gun violence. Um, it's a lot of the very same issues we're dealing with today. And his very practical way of presenting things from both points of view and then going into your heart to touch your heart about how to say it, that's what you get off of YouTube if that's what you want to look for. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Curtis, can you do me a favor? Because there is someone here on hold uh, with their hand up. Uh, if you can, find out. And then you know, we'll bring the person on for whatever they want to ask. Um, I, I, one of the things I was doing in my research, I came across an article which I thought was uh, really fantastic. It, the website is Return to Order, which is another Christian uh, website out here. But he listed the rules that made George Washington a great man. And what people don't realize is that here, this is another problem. We don't have uh, historic figures being touted any longer as role models. You know, figures such as George Washington or Thomas Jefferson, uh, or we just go on down the line of great American heroes that our kids are not being taught. No, wait a minute, George Washington was a slaveholder, so he wasn't a great American figure. In reality, if you think of the time he lived, yes, he is. And he had 110 rules that he wrote down himself by going back through biblical figures, previous historic figures, uh, going back to the Magna Carta and other documents. And he created these rules. And the um, website, returntoorder.org, put them out there, which I felt that when I read them, I'm willing to bet some of these things are probably in your book. Well, I am a big fan of George Washington. And by the way, you can see him on YouTube as well. Um, but I'm, I'm certainly motivated by George Washington and his influence on the First Amendment and understanding why. Because some people miss, we, we're still a country that believes in God. And so did our founding fathers. And regardless of what we may hear, our founding fathers wanted us to have faith and wanted us to believe in God, and um, but wanted us to have the freedom of being able to decide how and where we decided that. So, but certainly George Washington um, was very influential, and I agree with you. We we tend to take people apart based on their weakness and not on their strength and, and lift them up because of their strength. Because th- there is no person who's walked this earth other than Jesus that has not made a, a grievous error. But there are certainly many, many examples of people like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, who did far more good than they did bad. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And it's funny because you know, if you look at what he wrote down on some of those, one of the things he wrote was, do not rejoice at the misfortunes of others, even if they are your enemy. You know he had to take that directly from Scripture. Okay. That's either from the one that you quoted earlier about loving your neighbor, or it's the one that uh, Curtis quoted about the golden rule. Matthew absolutely, 7, 12. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Now, we, we've got a listener who has a question. Let me bring the individual on. His name is Hugh. Uh, Hugh, you have a question or comment for our guest, Dr. Bruce Hartman? Yes, I just uh, came over, came across your show, and I'm actually a global visionary, and I have had quite a bizarre life. And what you were just saying, I was raised Roman Catholic. I'm not a practicing Catholic at this point in time, and I'm calling out the Catholic Church and saying, if you don't start putting these pedophile priests in jail where they belong, 
and you're going to lose a lot more people. And to get back to basics, the basics are the two simple things that Jesus Christ said on how the people should live their life, to put God first always, and secondly, love your neighbors yourself. And people are just too focused on the material world. They're not focused on where they came from. We all came from spirit, even an atheist can't deny that we're going to go back into spirit eventually the material goods have absolutely no use there and i do say we're fully accountable for everything we do here i believe we incarnate to learn the lesson of unconditional love as we learn it we're supposed to be a blessing to others especially those who can't help themselves so i'm bringing forth some very powerful strategies and paradigms to shift us into more spirituality and unconditional agape love, and I'm committed to empowering women and indigenous people globally in my work, as I also at the same time root out corruption. Corruption's the biggest problem mankind has had since the beginning. All right. Uh, you, thank you for your comment. Uh, Bruce, uh, do you want to uh, respond to that? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a number of uh, good comments in there, and you know, certainly what we've been talking about, he's right. It really boils down to the two things is to have a personal relationship with God. And hopefully in my new book, I've shown people how to do that through prayer, through having a faithful heart and believing in that Lord and Savior. Um, the second thing is we can solve a lot of our ills and the world's ills by remembering number two, uh, to love your neighbor. Or as uh, as uh, Curtis quoted uh, Matthew seven twelve the golden rule they're very similar. Um, so I certainly agree that that's how, should should be our focus. And and by the way, Annie, we don't get to pick our neighbor. You know, it says love your neighbor. You don't get to pick your neighbor. And this is one of the things that George Washington was pointing out with one of his rules is that even your enemies, even your enemy is your neighbor. Treat them with respect. The one one thing I would bring up about the Catholic Church is we're Christians first and we're denomination second. I do think that the the Catholic Church should come out uh, and once and for all give the list out. And it will serve them better to take care of the problem today because today's problems are always smaller than tomorrow's. But one of the things I will say is the Catholic Church, they were the ones that were in the Colosseum back in the first century, protecting our faith and our religion. And I do believe this moment in time for the Catholic Church, well, very difficult, is just that, a moment of time. And there's been a lot of great people that are related to the Catholic Church, and this is back to the point you were making earlier, Annie, that we tend to judge people based on the bad things that happen. There have been wonderful Catholics throughout the years, and we should all respect that history and not the human beings that have uh, defiled the Catholic Church's legacy. You know, unfortunately, we see this in a lot of denominations in Christianity, and I've talked about this, and I know I've mentioned it to you, that we have the problem here where we split. At one point in 1965, the Anglican Church of North America had joined with the Episcopal Church, and at that time we were spiritually, you know, of the same mind, but as we saw the Episcopal Church move away from Scripture and more to the progressive left, uh, we said, well, wait a minute, uh, this is not what what we believe in. We are no longer following our faith and following Scripture. And we said, well, we want to back out of this relationship. 
And in the process, as a matter of fact, uh, I believe it's next week it will be going before arbitration where the Episcopal Church says, well, if you're breaking the contract, we're going to take all of your property. So our church Mm. was established here in South Carolina before the Episcopal Church was established in North America wants to take away our property. And our property has a huge history going back to 1712. Uh, it has a huge history that followed it through the Civil War, and it's still a full-functioning church today. And in order to shut us down and shut our voices, they want to shut our doors. But here's where they're going to make their biggest mistake. If they succeed in doing that, it will only make our voices louder. We will find another place to gather, like the first-century Christians did, like Christians are doing in the Muslim world, as Christians are doing in the communist world. And communist China has welcomed the Vatican, and the Vatican has welcomed communist China. But what people don't realize is that the Chinese government still controls the Catholic churches. So the Catholic church at this point is at a huge pivotal point in history. Unless they take a turn and go back to their fundamental beliefs based upon the scripture, they may not survive. I I, I don't see them surviving as they stand today. Yeah, and that's, that's why I said at the beginning, we're all Christians first and denominations second. Um, and the, the reason why I point that out is you talk lovingly about your church. And it's not because it's Episcopal church. It's because your pastor speaks the word. It's because you have friends that care about you and you care about within that church. And I'm going to guess you guys do a great job in serving your community as well. That's what a strong church is. And this point you bring yeah. up that um, with churches aren't following the word of God, that's a dead-end street because why do people go to church? They go to church to feel closer to God. So if you're not telling them about God, you're going to lose your constituents over time. They leave slowly. They just kind of just melt away, and you look up 10 years later and half your pew is empty where it used to be filled and that's one of the things that's happening to our churches today. And this point you made about the Catholic Church, it's also true with the Protestant churches. By the year 2030, um, they predicted at least half the denominations that exist today will no longer be in existence. That's, that's a huge, huge number. There is a question in the chat room from Moving Forward. He's asking you, what strategies are meaningful to work towards peace and civility? Now, um, I'd ask Moving if you would clarify that. Are you talking about peace here domestically or peace globally? Uh, because there are two different strategies in which to do that, correct? Uh, certainly there is, but I, I think the main strategy is the one that that we've been talking about is to have a personal relationship with God and recognize that God is sovereign and um, that that is, that is where we should direct our, our efforts of our own lives. The second is to recognize the value of all people that we deal with. But by recognizing God, you recognize the book of Proverbs, you recognize Psalms, you, all the advice that we get which is always about fair play, always about morality, always about having high ethics. And that's the value in knowing God is that the development of character. And I think if we you do that, whether it's globally or nationally, you can solve a lot of problems. 
And I think as, as, as in terms of the second point, I think they both also apply no matter who you're dealing with, um, whether it's another nation or another person, have respect for them. It doesn't mean you have to be a pushover. It doesn't mean you have to agree. But the way you treat them should be the way you would want to be treated. I would like to add that. uh, I would like to add that when I look at our leadership in Washington, I see people who have little regard for the law and our Constitution. And, you know, other people, young people see that. And um, if we have leaders that are lawless, you know, they figure out, well, well, why can't I be lawless, you know? I mean, and and even in the church, when you you think about pastors and priests who are, you know, being charged with um, sex, sexual assault crimes, that has to have an impact on the way young people look at the church. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of young people are stepping away from church. And that could be one of the reasons why the enrollment at churches will go down, as you said, by 2030. You know, some of these um, denominations will not be around. Yeah, certainly the, the, the single biggest thing that's causing the Catholic Church enrollment to decline is the way that they uh, have handled improperly um, the child abuse issue. Um, but this point you're making is true. Um, the pastor or the, or the priest of a church is viewed upon as a leader in society. And if we or those who do, um, you know, pastor a flock, we don't have high standards. Don't expect your people to have high standards. Absolutely. And that was my point. I was, going to, I was also going to make a point where if you look at presidents that have affected good domestic as well as foreign policy, such as bringing down the Berlin Wall, uh, initiating the end of the Soviet communism uh, regime. Uh, They were people that turned around and dealt one-on-one with the other world leaders, treated them with courtesy and respect, but also let them know that they were not a pushover. Ronald Reagan is a perfect example, and people don't realize how much of a Christian Ronald Reagan was and how strong his faith was within him. Um, and I'm going to say Richard Nixon, and people are going to say, oh, tricky dicky. But if you actually look at what history has shown and proven with Richard Nixon, another man of strong Christian values who did the one-on-one relationship with world leaders and affected change. Um, now you have Donald Trump, again, another man of strong faith, dealing one-on-one with world leaders, and slowly he's affecting change. China is waffling on the trade deal, but we know in the end Trump is going to win. As you said, keep your faith strong, but also use it in all of your relationships. Yeah, and certainly um, the president you pointed out, Reagan, uh, we, we all called him the great communicator. But he was very difficult for the Russians. Um, he would not give in <laughs> on any issue. But he was never um, he was never difficult for them to deal with. He, it was his, only his point of view that was difficult for them. And he, he single handedly is the person that brought down the Iron Curtain. 
Um, so, and this point you're bringing up about Trump, what doesn't get reported is that China's numbers that got reported this past week, um, according to Morgan Stanley, uh, they, they used a very sophisticated term to describe the Chinese economy, and they used this word, awful. And I was thinking about <laughs> that that's what, right? So, I mean, it's amazing such a sophisticated company would use a term like that. But their numbers are way off. Uh, their exports are down 10%. Their currency has been has been devalued by far more than ten percent. They are really, uh, you know, what Trump is doing right now is really telling them you have to stop. You have to stop the government subsidies. You have to stop stealing our technology, and we're not going to give in. And I think that's an important thing. The other one that's that's um, also little known is all this misbehavior we're seeing from Iraq these days is because they're near bankrupt. And they're trying to do what they used to do, which was uh, rattle a few sabers and then the U.S. would give in. Uh, Not with this president. You're not going to see that. No, not at all. And it's funny. People don't realize how much Iran is in uh, shambles. And they're going to keep on rattling their sabers until they realize they're going to have to capitulate. And uh, we had a guest on our last show that said that if we were to open up a canal, we can actually bypass Iran, Iran and their ability to steal the tankers. And if we just cooperate with um, Dubai and Oman, and we can build a new canal and get all the oil shipped wherever and have a, open up tourism to the Middle East. And the more we open up tourism to the Middle East, the more we bring Western civilization, and we'll see less wars. Now, it, it is a huge yeah. benefit, but we just have to think smart. Right. Well, this point you made about tourism and America, um, yeah, I'm sure you know from my background, I used to work for Foot Locker, and I was the uh, CFO, but I was also the person responsible for having Foot Locker stores in the Middle East, the number one product that people in the Middle East will buy is anything American, anything, oh, yeah. whether it's Nike or Yankee Candles, whatever it is, that's what they want to see. And there's a reason for it. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this huge immigration problem. Um, and I can tell you from being a global business leader that um, what you just said is completely accurate. They want to have Western products. And ideals, the governments don't want them to have it. Yeah, as you know, that I used to own a travel agency back in the 1900s, uh, and I also uh, worked for American Express and their business travel end of it. And wherever we had tourism, you saw booming economies. Turkey is now in terrible trouble, uh, but they've closed off a lot of tourism because of their uh, move towards more radical Islam. Um, Another perfect example, Venezuela, the more they went towards socialism, the more their economy uh, crashed, and no longer are people traveling to Venezuela for tourism. And you see it over and over. Wherever they push out Western ideals and they push out tourism, their economy tanks, and they end up with a tyrannical regime. Right. Americans are not bad people. 
and they're proud people and they're free people. And I do believe um, only from the number of Americans that I've talked to, um, they're kind people and they will help anybody. And I think, unfortunately, that's not often the story that's told about us. No, no, it's not. But until an American lives among a group of people, they don't understand that. And you had mentioned uh, that my church probably does a lot of good you know, charities. I have uh, two friends of mine uh, right now in China working with right. local people, helping them strengthen their faith in Christianity, but also teaching them, uh, teaching them cooking, teaching them art. Uh, they're working within the community, and the community is going, this is what real Americans are like. And yes, this is what real Americans are like. Yeah, you're going to get a couple of nasty tours because you're not accustomed to having something different. You're accustomed to having American things around you. And if you go to, say, Portugal, you're not going to have everything you have at home. But you're going to have something as close. But you have to understand you're in a different country. You have to understand. This is another thing that really gets me. And, uh, I think we've talked about this also because we're told that we have to have our borders open. And now you're basically hearing the same thing. We're seeing our politicians telling Israel they must have open borders. Perfect example are these two females uh, that are anti-Semites that wanted to go over there as part of their own delegation to support the boycott on Israel. It's American left telling Israel they have to have open borders. You must let anyone in the same way they want us with open borders. And yet, which are the two most free and democratic countries in the nation? The United States and Israel. And how do you destroy us? You destroy our country by open borders. It's it's amazing if if you just look at it, how how they're doing it. Uh, it just—I it, it, don't even know what to say at this moment. I'm—I'm I'm at a loss for words, folks. I am actually <laughs> at a loss for words. <laughs> Dr. Hartman, well, I, go ahead. Sorry, Curtis. Yeah, I was going to ask you. Um, 2020 election coming up next year. Most people see it as a political and philosophical um, battle. Um, do you also see it as perhaps a spiritual battle? between good and evil? Oh, definitely. Uh, when, I, when I look at what's happening to the Democratic Party and how dispersed it is, I think that um, Americans are being fooled by this spirit of evil. Most of those folks know that they don't have a chance of winning uh, the presidency. And because they're not, they're not well-known enough, they haven't done enough, they haven't been patriotic enough, they, they know that. So why are they doing this? Well, they're doing it so they can get book deals, they can get speaking arrangements, and they can make person, personally they can make a lot of money. So you know, that's some of the influence and some of these wild ideas that you're hearing from people are also based to help that, that individual personally make money. So we should all just be aware that that's why you have, I don't know, what are they, up to 27 or 28 uh, candidates? So I think <laughs> that's the number one. And the number keeps growing. <laughs> it keeps growing. But these issues that we've talked about, which is, you know, America is great. Um, and it's the exhausted majority that we talked about earlier. That's America. 
And if the Democrats really want to win the next election, they'll start worrying about the people that work in the breweries of Milwaukee. They'll start worrying about the folks in Tennessee that used to have jobs in car plants. They'll start worrying about the people in Portland, Maine, that just just had levied on them a new tax without any representation. So if the Democrats want to win the new election, they have to go back to who they were, which was the fight for the common person. The common person believes that Donald Trump supports them, and that's who decided the last election, and I think will decide the next election as well, unless the Democrats can bring forth somebody that's a patriot and that thinks about the middle America, uh, the person that lives in Johnson City, Tennessee, or the person that lives in Charlotte, South Carolina, that has to get up every morning, go to work, come home, and pay their bills. And the last thing they want is a politician they can't trust. Well, it's funny because the Democratic Party is no longer the party of Truman, of Robert F. Kennedy, of his brother John F. Kennedy. They have moved so far to the left that what we used to call blue dog Democrats don't even exist anymore. They have a choice. They either become a libertarian, independent, or Republican. Now there's something else, Andy. They do exist. They're called the deplorables. <laughs> when, when, Bill, when, when Hillary used that word that ended the election, um, calling people that worked three jobs, and by the way, she may, she may even say, I didn't mean those people, but those people have taken the word deplorable on, and they've put it on as a badge. You know, they're the folks oh, that yeah. served in Vietnam. The folks that you know fought for us in Iraq, and this thing you've said about JFK and RFK and Truman couldn't be more real. That used to be the Democratic Party, and today it's the – I call it – and with all due respect to the uh, Yale University, I call it the party of Yale University. It's elitism. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's funny because uh, my grandmother proudly had up, hung up in her house – a picture of her brother, her brother Mike, um, and he was walking next to Truman as he walked Truman through the ruins of Pompeii, as he took him through the cameo factories. And from that, those very factories, when I married my first husband, my uncle Mike sent me one of the cameos. Uh, so there, we were a conservative family, we were a very religious, very conservative family. Um, but if my grandparents were alive today, they would not be voting Democrat. That is for sure. No, no absolutely not. I, um, I spent the last four months uh, walking the Appalachia Trail, me and my wife. Uh, it was kind of a life event we wanted to do. And you end up in these towns of Johnson City and Georgia and North Carolina and in the back towns of Virginia in Pennsylvania, and this is a very common theme that we heard. And people would even announce to us when we introduced ourselves, they would say, "I'm deplorable." Mm. Not not it's funny, not I because thought... they were, it's a true sense deplorable. It, that was their badge. Well, I, I passed a pickup truck yesterday on the way back from uh, shopping, and there's this huge, huge sticker on the back window of the pickup cab, and it says. I am the deplorable that Hillary warned you about. And I look at this guy and I'm passing him thumbs up in the air. You know, and you're right. I see people wearing T-shirts. I see it on bumper stickers. And this, this 
sticker took up just about the entire, from the top of the cab to the bottom where the bed starts, this huge sticker. And I said, if anyone is waving a flag and giving Hillary Clinton the middle finger, it's this guy. God bless him. Yeah, and I, and I, don't, think, I don't think Hillary really meant to mobilize this group when she said that. It was more of a flippant remark that she made to denigrate, uh, you know, Donald Trump. But unfortunately, it's had that effect. Um, you know, Americans, uh, at least the ones I see and know and what I read in, whether it's Pew Research or the Gallup polls, they're exhausted. And they want our politicians to calm down and start acting like adults and to stop being patriots. And you, know, you think about the men that first served and the, the women that first served our country. They had to travel three or four weeks just to go someplace, away from their families, to serve for us. And that's what we have to, I think, learn to honor and respect what it means to be a patriot. Well, Dr. Bruce Hartman, thank you for being a guest. And, and I'm going to have you on real soon, as soon as you can get AJ to send me a copy of your book. Or you said it signed yes. to me. The book that's coming out September 3rd, which is at the press right now, Your Faith Has Made You Well. A Radical New Way to Create Peace and Hope that people can get on your website, BruceLHartman.com. Also read your blog, uh, which is very interesting. Tons of great articles on there. Uh, Or they can go to Amazon.com and get the Kindle book there. Thank you, Dr. Bruce, uh, for being with us. And, again, I'm going to have you on back real soon. Okay. Bless you and bless you, uh, Curtis, as well. Take care. God bless All right, right, Dr. Bruce Hartman, again, check out his website, brucelhartman.com. And we've got our next guest up, and she's always a blessing to have, and it's always fun to have her on the show. She's an evangelist. Uh, She is also uh, the director of civil rights for the unborn and also an associate pastor on Priest for Life, Dr. Alveda King. Good afternoon, Dr. King. Do we... Curtis, do we have Dr. King? Uh, let's try this. Yes, she was. Is Dr. King with us? Hello? Dr. King? Yes, Hi yes. there. Hi. It looks... All right. It looks like you're... I've got you listed in two different phone numbers up here, so I'm confused. My switchboard is playing games with me. Uh, welcome aboard. How are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you? All right. Um, You have been hitting the headline in the news uh, because of your support for Donald Trump. And, you know, you wrote a wonderful, beautiful uh, editorial uh, saying that Donald Trump is not a racist, but yet every single time you turn on the news, someone else is calling him a racist. And I, 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 I can't see that in him. I cannot see a single racist thing that he has done. Well, it's interesting. Just because someone says a thing, does not mean that it is so. And it's very interesting that those who are calling President Trump a racist support very racist practices, such as Planned Parenthood, who was founded by a racist, and everybody knows that. So they support that. So that is really a cry, a selective cry of racism. They're doing what's called race baiting. I understand it. And I'm not angry with anyone, but when President Donald John Trump says, we all believe the same, and he said that in his inaugural speech, he was very clear before he became president what he was going to do for America, and that included a beautiful agenda for African Americans, like he's already given 
millions and millions of dollars into the billions to the historically black colleges and universities. A large percentage of the people who have been released from prison under his criminal justice reform are African Americans who have been restored to their families. The job market is up for all Americans, and it's especially impacting African Americans. The unemployment rate is down. He's brought so many jobs back to America, reopened the steel mills, and his promises continue what he's doing in the urban cities. There's just so much that he's doing, and that is not being reported. However, people are just calling him a racist. You know, what I found ironic is that um, he has more people in his cabinet uh, that are minorities and females than President Obama had. And, and so tell me how he's a racist, but yet they point back to when his dad owned an apartment building in New York City. Uh, but if people look at what happened when he took over the building, the first thing he did was to integrate the building and open it up to anyone. Integrate that wanted to, to come improve in. the building. And it's just, but people simply really are not reporting. I usually don't do this, but I'm going to mention a show that I watched today when I went to my hairstylist, and it was the Steve Harvey show. And interestingly, all of the stories and all of the reports that Steve gave were really good news. Like an African-American lady went to a car dealer, and she was going to buy a car, and she just didn't have the down payment, and it was more than she could handle, and she broke down in tears, so she left. And soon after she left, she got a call back from the dealer. Another, a man who had come in, now the lady was African-American, the man was Caucasian or white, and he gave her the car that he was going to trade in to get his new car. He just gave her the car. And then there was another wow. story about uh, another good deed. He, he gave many stories about good deeds. And my point is that that overcomes Goodness overcomes evil. You know, don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. And if people would do all the good reports, then people would have received more hope, more encouragement, and all of that. So we, I believe, because right after President Trump and First Lady Trump, during the uh, last shootings and everything, and they went down and a little young man from Texas, a little Caucasian boy, had said, let's do 22 good deeds for somebody because 22 people died. And so everybody was like, wow, why didn't we think of that? So those are the kinds of things that we're going to have to do. President Trump is doing very good for America. And I have people secretly whispering to me, don't tell anybody, but I'm going to vote for President Trump. You know what I said? Why would I tell anybody? So, you know, (laughs) yeah. Well, you you mentioned your work with the unborn because you are the director of civil rights for the unborn.org. And just to let you know, there's a link up on the show page so people can go over there and help you with that organization. And, you know, thank you. Oh, anything to help because um, you've got an interesting background and story dealing with this, which brought you to this point in your life. And God has guided you. Um, and what gets me angry is that when people do not recognize that unborn, or I call preborn, uh, individual as a human being, they call it anything else, a zagite. Uh, they don't understand that this is a full human life. Whether you hear a heartbeat or not, it is a God-given right. And it's a right 
to life that that child should have, and yet it's the woman's choice, but who gives the child a choice? Well, we have often said that that's why abortion is not a civil right. Abortion is a civil wrong. Life is a civil right. And a woman really does have a choice with her body. A woman has the right to choose what she does with her body. The baby's not her body. So you're going to have to ask, where's the lawyer for the baby? And I ask all the time, how can the dream survive if we murder our children? So it's just, it's a crime against humanity to kill a little innocent human being. And that's what the babies are. And somebody asked me the other day, well, why do women get abortions? And the answer is a little bit different according to ethnicity. You notice I didn't say race. We're one race, one blood. Acts 17, 26 says of one blood, God made all people. Science says that as well. But we know that women first out of fear or they're scared or they're concerned about something. Their lives may be threatened. Somebody says, if you have that baby, I'll kill you. I'll abandon you. I'll leave you if you don't have the baby if you don't get the abortion, that kind of thing. And then sometimes financial. I'm not going to be able to afford this. Or I just am just not ready. I'm just not ready. I don't want to do this. So women have various reasons. I want to finish school. I want to get a job. I want to do this. I want to do that. I uh, More and more I'm finding that women get mad at the father of the baby, especially if he's not been faithful and goes out with their girlfriend or something. And they, I'll, I'll just kill his baby. That's how I get back at him. So the poor innocent baby is suffering. And often, though, the woman is a secondary victim because we know that many, many women die from having abortions. It's not safe. It's not rare. It is legal. So we know that women actually die from bad abortions as well. Well, I've been speaking out on this subject for a long time. As a matter of fact, I had the producers and uh, authors of the movie Gosnell. I went even so far as taking the DVD of that movie and playing it before my tea party group and telling them, hey, wow. listen, share this with your kids. Share it. Have, have your kids bring their friends over, make some popcorn, but sit them down and have them watch this movie. And I've had the producers on here a few times. Oh, just to give them a little plug that Film and Anne McAleer now have their own podcast, so just Google them. And I also have a compliment for you uh, from the chat room. Uh, We have Moving Forward that said that Dr. King is speaking like a clean pool of water. Refreshing. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. Yes. That is the response, (laughs) not from the great Alveda King, but the grateful Alveda King. Yeah, yeah. So I'm so grateful. I'm humbled every time I hear something that beautiful, that's wonderful. But we love the Lord, and as we serve the Lord and love each other, I'm saying we really begin need to begin to broadcast good reports and good news. Not pretend that nothing bad happens, but you overcome evil with good. That is really what we must continue to do. Absolutely. And then you have states such as mine, South Carolina, that's moving forward with legislation um, it used to be called personhood. Uh, I forget what they now call it. They changed the name. But the right of that child to be born. You have Georgia now with the heartbeat bill. And you've got other states yeah. following along, uh, battling what New York has done and what several other states have done, uh, giving the, the right to the mother to murder that child up to the time of birth and in cases after the child is born to allow that child to still be murdered. 
And I don't call it abortion. Right, if the baby was supposed to be aborted, leave the baby there and let the baby die. Yep. Mm. Evangelist King. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's just, I find it ironic when I go back to my hometown in Philadelphia and I'm hearing all these things about Trump and concentration camps and things like that. Um, First of all, what they're talking about was started by the president they love so much, and that's Barack Hussein Obama. He has them in cages and, and whatnot. But the thing is, um, those those people, they overwhelm our people down there on the border, our, you know, border patrol guards and stuff, and they had to put them somewhere. Uh, I wouldn't say they were mistreated just because they were put in spaces that look like concentration camps. But they seem to be more concerned about children who really are not citizens here, who are behind fences and stuff that will protect them from, like, rapists and, and, and the sex traffic and all that stuff. They seem more concerned about that than they, they are about our citizens who, who are carrying, you know, a, a baby, an unborn baby in their womb. You know, they have no problem with killing an unborn baby, though. You know, and that's, what that's, that's the Democrat Party for you and that liberal mindset. Well, they're, they're not able to calculate the fact that if you bring in more people that you're ready to assist, whether you want to help or not, and we do want to help, we do not have the funds, the resources, and the correct opportunities. And then our own children are suffering even worse conditions here in America. Children are being separated from their own parents. Uh, through jail and other experiences. So um, we have to get a balance on all of that. And the compassion is for everyone, but you have to allocate and have the proper resources. Something else that people don't think of, we've done pretty well with health care in, in eradicating a lot of diseases, measles, mumps, chicken pox, all that. But a flight attendant died recently from measles. And some of those diseases that we were uh, successful and containing when people come across the border and they've not uh, lived in this environment and they've not had the help to build the antibodies and things that we have against those, then that brings more sickness and disease into the country as well. Uh, and it's really not for me, Democrats or Republicans, liberal, conservatives, all of that. I am a Republican, but we should love each other and be able to work to, with each other regardless. And that's the point, and that transcends a lot of that. But I think that uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, for instance, has a gate around her house and bars and all that. So they said, well, oh, ma'am, yeah. why don't you just open your house and not have that's a right. gate at your house since you want America to just be open, open yours. And then everybody says, oh, well, you're being ridiculous. And we say, well, no, we're not. If you're going to really mean that, you have to demonstrate that. Well, see, a well, lot it's, of it's funny because looking at this, they're looking at this in a spiritual way. In other words, we should welcome everybody, you know, the downtrodden and everything. And, I mean, we do have laws. We have to obey the laws. Mm-hmm. I'm well, sorry, it's Andy. funny because, uh, Dr. that's all right, Dr. King, they, they, they were quoting the poem, the Colossus, that is on the foot of the Statue of, La- of, the Statue of Liberty, if I can get my teeth in straight, uh, in the harbor at Manhattan, and they keep on quoting, oh, give me your huddled masses. 
they never go to the very end of the poem, the last stanza that reads, I hold my shining lamp to your door. In other mm-hmm. words, the off the poem I lift my lamp beside the shining yeah. uh, And it understood that you need a light to see who's coming in. You need a door in which you can open and close to permit people to come in or, or keep people from coming in. So the author of the poem knew that we had to regulate immigration, and yet they used the first part to hoodwink everyone else, to create their propaganda or whatever they want to do for the open border policy. But even Christ right. understood the need of countries to exist because when he brought down the Holy Spirit and gave it to his apostles and sent them outward into the world to go and speak different languages, to go across borders, to bring the word of God. He didn't tell them to come here and speak Aramaic. He went out and said, speak their language, go across to those other countries, recognize their separate identities, but bring the word. So, you know, even God understands the need for borders here on earth. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I'm preaching to the choir. <laughs> but that's okay. And I can only stay with you a couple of more minutes. I don't know how long they told you I would be able to be with you. I usually do about 10 minutes. But uh, do you have another question for me? Um, well, I have a bunch of them, but I also know that uh, you only had uh, just a few minutes with us. And basically, we've covered everything I wanted to do. I wanted to push your website, the Civil Rights for the Unborn, which is a very, very important uh, movement that you have there, especially when you look at what's happening in Europe with, I believe it's Denmark and another country that have proclaimed we have zero births of Down syndrome. And why do they have zero births of Down syndrome? Is because they abort the child. They abort the baby. I was in Jamaica. And I was able to see a lot of the babies who were born in an orphanage, a wonderful uh, orphanage that I visited. I visited the beautiful little children and all of that. But we abort our babies. And I think that but the personalities of the children was remarkable. As a matter of fact, uh, I was limping a little bit along, and one of the children who had some uh, birth issues was trying to pray for me. Actually, did pray for me. Grabbed my hand. In the arms that his arms did not have hands, but he grabbed my hand and he prayed for me with the most beautiful smile. I said, Lord, I just cried. I received healing from the Lord even in that process. So I'm like, it's people are people. Human beings are human beings. And we're going to have to stop the crimes against humanity and learn to love each other. I had abortions when I was younger. I was deceived by the uh, eugenics and the racism of Planned Parenthood. But once I was born again, became a born-again Christian, I became a voice for life, and that was in 1983, so that was many, many years ago. So uh, I've been doing this, bringing this message. My grandfather, Martin Luther King Sr., convinced my mother not to abort me in 1950. So um, it's been a beautiful life, a beautiful experience. But I'll come back on sometime and share more with you and your listeners, and I thank you for this beautiful opportunity for this interview. Well, it has been a pleasure. It's Our always pleasure. fun to have you on, and thank you. And I know you have a busy schedule, so God bless uh, Dr. King for everything you do. Again, reminding people to go to your web- website, which is civilrightsfortheunborn.org. Thank you, and God bless Amen. for the hard work you do, ma'am. Thank you. Take God care. bless you. Uh,
Dr. Alveda King, uh, again, check out her website, at, which is civilrightsfortheunborn.org. And we got our next guest up on this and my there we go my computer's now behaving want to welcome john riddell he is with the freedom faith and freedom coalition out of denver and john you've got a new project going on also and i'm sorry i missed the phone call because like i told you i had a migraine uh yesterday when i woke up and i just i I couldn't do it but you have a new project out there called vote kingdom tell us about that uh, yes, Andy. Thank you. Uh, we we started in 2016 with a group of pastors, uh, and we held a meeting to talk about uh, how Christians need to start getting engaged in in the public discourse of ideas. And one of the p- things the pastors had decided after a two hour uh, discussion at a restaurant was that they could not vote for Hillary Clinton, they could not vote for Donald Trump, but they could vote Kingdom. So show us the most kingdom platform, and that's how they would vote. And so the Vote Kingdom movement came into being that day. And what it says is we will not vote for politicians. We'll vote for policy. We will not vote for personalities. We'll vote for principle. And, and so those are the, they look for the most principled candidates, the ones who are closest aligned to what the um, Christian community sees as right and just bills. And that's how they're voting. And that, and that movement uh, combined with a movement by the uh, Catholic priest in our organization uh, that said vote canon law 915, which is a, a canon law that talks about sin and what voting for people who have notorious sin. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot simpler than that, but a lot more complicated as well. Both of those issues started at the same time, and it changed uh, the Christian vote. Uh, and, and I'm talking out of the, besides evangelicals, the other Christian vote and the Catholic vote by nine points, it switched in the last three weeks before the election to Donald Trump. Wow. Wow. Now we had discussed the, the Catholic church with a previous guest, Dr. Bruce Hartman, as well as with a uh, caller in on the show. And as you know, John, that I'm, I once, I was raised Roman Catholic to the point where I even taught Sunday school uh, my first marriage was within the Catholic Church, um, but I felt that the Catholic Church had left me, and this realization came to me uh, in the mid-'80s where I saw the change, uh, where they were moving a w- little bit further and further away from true Scripture, not from the Catholic Church I grew up in. Uh, but there are people like you that's trying to bring the faith back to its original intent which is a good thing. We need people like you to help bring the policy back to where it should be. Well, I thank you. Uh, and, and there are a lot of people working on this and doing this themselves. So, but what most people don't understand in 1950, a woman named Bella Dodd, I don't know if that was on your show or not, uh, was an Italian immigrant who was also a communist, uh, came to the United States, got her citizenship, and her responsibility with the Communist Party was to put 1,200 men into the Catholic uh, seminaries to become priests. And she succeeded. And so right now what we have in, in the Catholic Church is we have those um, priests coming to age and having some high positions within the Catholic Church, completely trying to change the doctrine of the church so that they can bring down the Catholic Church. Uh, the same was done in some Protestant denominations as well. Uh, and besides that, we have a large group of uh, homosexual predator priests 
who are, uh, you know, they talk about the, the pedophilia in the Catholic Church. That was been mostly resolved many years ago. It's, it's, they put in uh, constraints. What they're talking about now is not pedophilia. They're talking about homosexual rape of seminarians and teenage boys over the age of 15, over the age of puberty. And, and that is completely undermining and, and uh, destroying the Catholic Church. So there are a bunch of us together, uh, Father Richard Heilman out of Wisconsin, um, Bishop uh, Thomas uh, Homestead out of um, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, Monsignor Charles Pope. These are all great priests who are running now and saying, and of course, Cardinal Burke saying, we've got to stop this. We've got to expose the, uh, the lies, present the truth, and rebuild the Catholic Church into the doctrine that it was supposed to be. And so that's what a lot of us are working on and, and working towards, especially for the 2020 election. Well, you know, I, 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 you made me go back in my memory because I do, I know, talked about this a number of years ago on the show, that there was a priest, I believe it was up in the Chicago area, that was working to expose exactly what you were talking about. Um, and he was actually removed from his position, sent to a psychiatric facility to be re-educated and re-indoctrinated. He ended up having to go into hiding uh, because the Catholic Church was going after him, trying to get him permanently committed because he was willing to put everything on the line and expose the very thing that you're talking about. Well, exactly. You're talking about uh, uh, Subic was part of that, Bishop Sub uh, Cardinal Subic, and and so was McCarrick. And there are a bunch of high-level cardinals uh, that are involved in this. And we, I've known someone who's gone through that indoctrination camp. And they try to convince you that you're an alcoholic and you're no good, and you've got to get back to being gumbaya, uh, playing guitar at mass, and you know, and and trying to become anything but Catholic. Uh, so th this that that is a true that those we we call them concentration camps and not reeducation camps, and and they they do exist. They're put on by the extreme left part of, uh, and, and I mean really far left uh, uh, Catholic leaders, who uh, I, I think what they're doing is criminal, and I think they have to, that'll be the next thing that comes out and is exposed by attorney generals. Uh, but but your listeners should know is there is a strong dedicated, committed, Orthodox Catholic laity uh, that are fighting this tooth and nail. And a lot of the bishops and cardinals, Cardinal Sarah out of Africa, you know, Cardinal Burke out of the Vatican. Uh, so there, there are, there is fighting back now, finally, uh, that people are fighting back. And I think there's another group called Church Militant who exposes this on their daily broadcast every day on their podcast. You know, it, it's to the point where you know, my mom <laughs> I, I love my mom dearly, uh, but she's an Italian Roman Catholic, and you really can't get more Catholic than an Italian Roman Catholic. Um, but when she found out that I was no longer going to the Catholic Church, I had switched over to Anglican because I found it was closer to Scripture than any other denomination I've seen. And she turned around and told me I was going to burn in hell. And, you know, of course, me, I, I take it in stride. It's my mom. Uh, she's in her 80s. So, yeah, I'll take it in stride. But, you know, it, you write on your website when you talk about vote kingdom, which is which is really important, is that we are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In other words, we are Christians first before we are any other denomination. 
And if we follow that and then follow scripture, then there shouldn't be a problem. But the problem is, is when people stray away from scripture and then start to implant immoral and sinful things within our faith, uh, such as you're talking about the, the push for the LBGT community within the church, uh, the, the destruction of the, of our faith becomes their primary purpose. Well, that's it. The, the, the communists had a manifesto a long time ago when they tried to, even in, in uh, when they when they held Poland and other European countries. Uh, they attacked the church tooth and nail, tore down crosses, went after the church, went after the priest. Uh, and, and what they learned is that you cannot bring down the church by attacking it in a full frontal attack. So their plan was very simple. They said, stop, stop doing that. Their, their manifesto said, we have to get inside the church and take it down from the inside. We cannot corrupt it from the outside, but we can corrupt it from the inside. Uh, and we have to go after the young. Forget about these old priests and these old cardinals. Don't go after them uh, because you're, you're not going to turn them. They're, they are dedicated and married to the church and to Jesus Christ. They're going to follow him to the grave. So go after the young uh, priests and the seminarians. Go after kids in schools. And let's start changing what Catholicism really is, what the Catholic Church really is. And, and that's effectively what they've done. Uh, so they knew how to bring down the church. They knew that they had to bring down the church if they were going to promote uh, communism throughout the world, much like now the secularism that's happening around the world, uh, the one world order crowd, they know they have to bring down the church and they're doing everything they can by putting these people in this priest to do that. And thank God, uh, uh, you know, that I can't remember I'm sorry, the general counsel uh, from the Vatican that was in Washington, who's now in hiding who exposed a lot of this, and he's hiding and hiding because he, he knows he'll be put in one of those edu- re-education camps if they catch him. Uh, so we, we have to, you know, we have to t- convince Catholics and Protestants, first of all, stop warring against each other. We can't win like that. It, we, we are all citizens of the kingdom of God. We are all Christians first, you know, and, and, and that's what we have to understand and know. And when we tell Christians this, we we tell them, you know, Look, people have called me a bigot and a racist because I don't support uh, same-sex marriage or I don't support abortion. Uh, and, and what I respond to them is very simply. I say, I understand that you believe that God and Jesus Christ are bigots. They say, oh, we're not talking, we're talking about you. I said, well, I follow God and I follow Jesus Christ, and here's the scriptures that tell me why I should believe what I believe. And, so, and, and when you do that, it sort of sets them back a little bit. Uh, and, and when you start telling uh, Christians that you know, you're making a choice at the ballot box, not for a d- Democrat or Republican, you're making a choice whether you're voting for God or against God. And if you're voting for people that support abortion, you're voting against God. That's it, pure and simple. And, and when, you, when they start looking at it that way, we're hoping that they're going to wake up to the fact that they have to turn their lives around. They, they have to serve God first. Look, Annie, I'm 73. I'm, I'm a cradle Catholic. Uh, and I was in the hospital six weeks ago, uh, and I was in the hospital actually today again uh, for, with AFib. My heart went out uh, six weeks ago. It went out again this morning at 4 o'clock, uh, and we're in the hospital and uh, have people pray over me, and both times my heart went back into rhythm by itself without any kind of medicine or, or you know, um, uh, um, being electroshocked. 
Uh, and the, six weeks ago when I was in the hospital, uh, I call, asked for a priest for confession, and they couldn't get one, and they got me down there, and they're about 10 seconds away from putting the uh, pads on and hooking up the wires and just shooting me full of electricity when a priest came running in. And he prayed over me and uh, uh, and then, you know, left. Uh, and the funny thing is the nurse came in and was talking to me and said to me, have you always been faithful? And I said, no, I have not always been faithful. I've been anything but faithful for many years. She said, well, you're asking for a priest now. You're going to go through this procedure. How, how did you find your way back? And I said, you know, uh, I, I cannot answer that question for you. Uh, Lindsay, I, I, I cannot answer that question for you. If you get down on your knees tonight and tell God that you truly want him in your life again, he will come. He will show you the way back. Well, then another nurse came, came in and said, well, I used to be Catholic. I want to get back to my faith. I heard what you're saying. And so when then they looked up and saw my heart was back in rhythm. And they said, oh, my God, how did this happen? This is a miracle. And I said, I know it is. And she said, you got a miracle. I said, no, this miracle is not for me. It's for you. Uh, and, and these two women wow. came back to their faith at that moment, uh, and so much so that they wheeled me out of the emergency, out of the uh, procedure room when they're supposed to stay there and have an orderly do it, but they did it. And they picked up my wife in the hallway as we were going down, and they were talking to me, and they were wheeling this gurney down the hall, and they literally hit everything in the hall, walls, people, chairs, because they were so <laughs> intent on getting back to their faith that they forgot about everything in between. You know, and so when you see that, you see the hunger for people who really want to flock to people of faith who are true to their faith, who believe in their faith, who believe in Jesus Christ, who support Jesus Christ. And that's what we have to do. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I've got to say, I've never lost my faith. I, it may have wavered in strength, but I've always had a good, solid uh, faith. It's I've lost the faith in the Catholic Church is what I did, um, and I, I I'm glad I am with who what I am. As you said, we are Christians first, but uh, I also suffer from AFib as well as tachycardia, and um, I, I I know exactly what it is when they paddle you because believe me, it took almost two months for those burns to come off my chest. <laughs> so it's it's no fun having that done. Uh, so I understand where you're coming from, uh, but I will tell you, luckily that you are on the show with me today, something you should look into, uh, it's called Cardia Mobile. It, the Cardia is spelled with a K, Cardia Mobile. It's a little device you put on the back of your cell phone, and you can take your EKG daily, and you'll know whether or not you're starting to go into an arrhythmia or AFib or tachycardia. It'll let you know, and you can contact your doctor directly with that EKG, which I've done I've uh, emailed and uh, texted to the, my doctors. Uh, the other thing is, is there's a device that they implanted in my heart uh, just two months ago called the Watchman. And you were talking mm -hmm. about uh, having someone come to pray while you were waiting to have the procedure done. Just before uh, I had the Watchman implanted, I'm there on the gurney. They're starting to give me the anesthesia. And I hear someone shout out, stop this immediately. Don't take another step and everyone the doctors and nurses turn around and there's this diminutive little uh asian american woman came in and i thought she was wearing a uniform of some sort because i'm like starting to go underneath the anesthesia she came directly up to me and she goes do you want someone to pray with you and i said yes i don't know what this woman said because i know i was very anxious and nervous 
but she came over. She prayed with me. I felt myself calm down. And I know it wasn't the anesthesia because I was fighting it. I just felt myself completely calm down. And the next thing I know, they were wheeling me out. And they said, that was the chaplain. I have no idea how she knew I was there. I had no idea who told her or whatever. But she showed up at my side all of a sudden to pray with me. So the power of God. And I, I don't know if maybe it converted someone in that operating room at that moment. But I know he sent her. And I can tell yeah. you, I've seen miracles that he's he has done in my life time and time again. And people say, well, I never see God around me. And if you just open your eyes and hearts, you will see him a million times a day. You will, Annie. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's not, a, it's not that he has to be visible to you. Just look at what happens in your life. That little voice in your head is not a little voice. It's a, it's your guardian angel talking you through things and trying to warn you against things. Uh, you know, and it's, it's, you, you find truer peace and happiness. I, I mean, when I, I know it sounds strange to your viewers out there. In essence, what they're doing, what Andy's talking about, is they put a pad on your chest and a pad on your back, and then they shoot 200 joules of electricity straight through your heart. Uh, and it, it does leave a nice-sized burn on your chest and back. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I used to be uh, worried about that. Uh, you know, I used to ha get anxious about it, but I don't, I don't anymore. And when I go there, uh, I, I know that God's going to be with me. I mean, I'm not looking forward to it. Don't get me wrong, and I don't want him to do it. But I know that his will will be done. And so, and, uh, you know, I was down in North Carolina in 2016 and uh, went into AFib. Well, it was so bad, and there were so many complications at that point, uh, that my wife decided to fly down. This is a, day be, a couple of days before the election. We were trying to uh, talk about Vote Kingdom down there to pastors. And uh, 45 African-American pastors came in, into the park to talk about that, and it, it made such an impact that it swung some of North Carolina's vote. But as I'm, I'm on there, my, you know, the, the uh, orderly came in to take me, and she looked at me and put her hand on my chest to put, a, you know, put some of those stickers on. And I grabbed her hand, and I says, are you going to vote tomorrow? Do you know how important it is to vote tomorrow? And she says, you know we're <laughs> going to electrocute you, don't you? And then my, my wife came in. <laughs> And we were in the room, and the doctor didn't want to do the cardioversion because he said it's been 40 hours, and we're working. I said, look, this is my request. It's, I'll sign a release. I want you to do it. I'm not going to live my life with AFib. And my wife and I were in the room knowing that this was not, this could not end, this may not end well. And so she looked at me, and she just said, have we said everything to each other? And I said, every day of our life we said it. Yes, there's nothing left to be said. And she looked at me with tears in her eyes, and she said, then God's will be done. Uh, and, and that mm -hmm. kind of acceptance of God's will is paramount to people, even when you're going in the vote. I'm, I'm, I cannot tell you, your listeners, uh, uh, strongly enough that to vote against God is, is not something we, we, we need to do. It's, not, it's something that puts a mark on our soul. Uh, we've got to stop abortion. We've got to stop all these other things that are happening uh, against faith. We, we've got to stand up for our churches, and we've got to stand up with true pastors, and we've got to expose the bad ones. And, and that's what we have to do as Christians. That's what we're called to do. Absolutely. Chris, uh, sorry about that. But we were talking with our previous guest, Dr. Hartman, about the Catholics of the first century, that they were the ones in the Colosseum. But they followed the scripture, 
And now today we have Christians that are no longer following Scripture, and they're demanding that we have same-sex, not same, uh, unisex bathrooms where, you know, transsexuals can go into the same bathroom of an opposite-sex individual. And this is being done to children. You have children in school being taught uh, about the LBGT community, children as, as young as four, five, six years old, being told, oh, gender is fluid. You, Even though you're born a boy, you can be a girl. You have parents, when a child is born, starting to transgender the child before it's even mature enough, long before puberty. You, knew, you now have a new movie coming out, I forget what the name of it is, where kids in elementary school are shown playing with sex toys. Uh, and and you're, you're seeing deviation after deviation after deviation. And if we don't bring people back to faith, then it's going to get worse, isn't it? Well, it, it is. And there, there's a, a, an old sign, an old poster. If I find it, I'll, I'll send it to you. That's, and it had uh, the sign says, the reason there's a road to hell and a stairway to heaven is because of projected traffic patterns. So, you know, in, in other words, you, you get to heaven and a whole lot get to hell. Uh, and, and, and God says in Scripture, Jesus says, when you, to harm the little ones, you might as well tie a millstone around your neck and throw yourself into the ocean. Uh, and, and when we let this happen to these kids, and, and that's, this is the old communist doctrine that now uh, the progressive socialists are using uh, in, in school, go after the young. Convince them that there's nothing wrong with sex. Convince them there's nothing wrong with man-on-man sex. Uh, they even have some people at Johns Hopkins University, some psychiatrists, that are trying to change the name of the word pedophile to inner, uh, I'm sorry, to minor attracted persons, and change change the word of pedophilia to intergenerational attraction. Now, tell me what that what that's going to do when they start teaching that in schools. They are offering these kids up as sexual sacrifices in order to get their political agenda done. And if parents don't understand and wake up to that fact, these kids will be damaged forever. I I know kids that had been sexually abused when they were younger, and they are a mess today. And they're a mess because it it goes against everything in their nature uh, of what they were taught to that point. They're confused or disoriented. And it's destructive. And, uh, and I'm telling you right now, if we don't do something about what's happening in public schools, we are going to have two generations of totally messed up kids. John. Absolutely. Curtis, you're going to answer the like, question. Yeah, it seems like we need a reformation in our school system. But <laughs> my statement is this. The United States has been viewed as a very special, unique um, country because of our form of government um it is said that before this republic republic was established everyone else were were either ruled by monarchs kings or councils and committees now on a spiritual level a lot of people believe that this country had the blessings of the almighty when it was formed and throughout its history when things were to a point where this country could have have failed or dissolved or been defeated, um, God stepped in and changed all of that, such as the Revolutionary War and the War of 1812, when 
the British, you know, marching to um, Washington and burnt down the White House and all the other buildings while they attempted to, and and even even the Civil War, and some say that um, the rise of Trump and his um, ascendance into the presidency was inspired by God. What are your views on that? That God has his sight set on this country, and that anyone who tries to um, go against what you know the principle this country was established on will meet his wrath. Well, I, I my view is is very simple. You know, God will give us the government that we want. That's what he did in Sodom and Gomorrah. That they wanted to live a sexual lifestyle. He let them have it. He gave it to them, and then he destroyed them. Uh, and in our country, uh, I have no doubt that Donald Trump uh, was a, a divine, was protected divinely, and won that election. Uh, and because God touched the hearts of people that were out there, and especially Christians. And and what happened, and what people saw, and what we need to have them see again in 2020. And the reason I believe they voted for Donald Trump was his stand on the abortion, that abortion was wrong no matter what, and a stand on religious liberty. And so what happened was that the people saw a candidate, even the people I know that don't like him that voted for him, saw somebody and they said to me, you know, I know no matter what he says, he means what he says. You know, he's not, he's not trying to lead me down one way or the other. He is telling me from his heart where he will go and what he stands for. And that refreshing truth, and that's what God is. God is the truth. That truth brought them to vote for somebody that they wouldn't have normally voted for. And Donald Trump has turned out to be. And, and look, I, I, I did not support him in the primaries. I was supporting uh, Ted Cruz. Uh, I supported him in the election because I, I just felt that uh, there was some God, uh, divinely influence happening here because he kept stepping on his tongue sometimes with some of the things he said, yet people has never lost the support. And But he has become the most religious liberty president I've ever seen, period, in my lifetime. That includes over Reagan. He has become the most pro-life president I've ever seen in my lifetime, and that includes Ronald Reagan. Uh, so I, I think there's no doubt that there's a divine influence over him. Uh, I believe that God created this country, allowed this country to defeat the biggest and best army in the world in the revolution. Uh, because of religious liberty and because it, people were standing for faith, because our founding fathers prayed to him, because our founding fathers believed in him, uh, because our founding fathers surrendered to him. Uh, and, and what's happening in our world and in our, in our Christian community, even within the commission, Christian community, uh, is that we have forgotten the, the three primary things we have to do as Christians. We have to, first of all, commit totally to God. We have to forgive and we have to show mercy. And we're not doing that. And and people say to me, well, your surrender has nothing to do with surrender. You could forgive and show mercy and still stand strong and call people out and still defend the faith and still stand strong for the faith. And we've lost that edge because too many Catholics think that forgiving means surrendering. You know, you have to give in to what they're thinking. That's not what forgiveness is. You forgive them and you stand firmly in their face and say, what you're doing is wrong. I forgive you for that, but it's wrong. And here's why it's wrong. And that's what we've lost. The, you know, in, in the Christian community, we, we feel that forgiveness means walking away or surrendering. Compromise is the sin of sins. Because when you compromise your faith, 
you're compromising the word of God. So I, there is a divine veil of protection over Donald Trump, I believe. Uh, and, and whether that stays for the 2020 election or not depends on whether Christians surrender to God, get back to the prayer, and accept the fact that we have to stand for life or that veil of protection could easily be removed and we'll get the government we ask for rather than, and deserve rather than the one we need. You know, it's funny because I hear this time and time again. I cannot support Donald Trump because he's a flawed man. He he cheated on his wife. He divorced his, his the mother of his children. Uh, and you hear people claiming that there's adhering to their Christian faith and condemning Trump. But we see time and time and time again throughout the Bible in the Old Testament and New Testament. And uh, Paul is a perfect example of flawed people being used by God to bring his message forward. And as I said, Paul is the greatest example of a sinful man being able to to come through with God's word. He is. I mean, uh, if you're looking for perfect, you're looking on the wrong place. I mean, there's nobody on this earth that's perfect. You know, and, and all of it, you know, one uh, I saw, on, I don't know if you ever used to watch that show, uh, Last Man Standing, with Tim Allen. But he had he has oh, yeah. a, uh, oh. had a line in there that I thought was was perfect. He said that no one wants to be judged by their worst mistake. No one, uh, and we've all made that worst mistake. It, different magnitudes of different things. So we, but you want to be remembered for what you did after you made that mistake, and how you re- how you responded, how you rebounded from that mistake. And, and Donald Trump has done that. Uh, you know, he he has stood firm for. Uh, you know, like I say, the children in the womb, he has stood, stood firm for the, uh, on the, the promises he has made. Um, and, and we owe a lot of what didn't get done to Paul Ryan and his compromising uh, Congress at that time. Uh, you know, and, and so that, that's why he, he is a man of God. And that's, I believe that. I know that Ralph Reed, our chairman, and a bunch of other pastors meet with him regularly and pray over him and pray with him. Uh, you know, it, it, does he still remain flawed? Yeah, we all are, and we all still remain flawed. But his heart's in the right place. I, I believe he's uh, what we call a Christian in training, uh, and he's moving for, closer and closer to God, and I, I hope he finds total salvation and total acceptance uh, before he's done. Well, you know, I was reading several articles where uh, the Christian faith is spreading rather rapidly because people are looking for a direction. We're not getting it from our leaders out there, uh, and they know there has to be guidance somewhere, which is why I think we're seeing the forces of evil push against us so hard. Uh, One example is uh, by the uh, state capitol in Arkansas last year, a year ago, almost to the day, uh, they are, had up there the statue of the devil and two children at his lap. Uh, here in the heart of the Bible Belt in Arkansas, they allowed this to happen. And yet now there's a pushback, and I think it's the same state, Arkansas. I could be wrong. I, again, I ask anyone out there in the chat room to correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the very same state, Arkansas, the governor recently passed a bill mandating that all public schools prominently display in God we trust. 
So there is a push to come back to faith on people that are finding that going out there and doing all of these crazy things that is permissible in our society, that was permissible in Sodom and Gomorrah, is not giving you the self-worth or the gratification that you're really seeking. Maybe going back to faith will give you what you're seeking. Well, with, without question, Andy. I mean, the, the, you, you, you're not going to find happiness in that lifestyle. You'll find temporary satisfaction. You're not going to find to, total, complete, permanent happiness. You only find that, look, we're, we're structured. Uh, we were created by God to serve God. That's, that's what, why man was created. And when we go against that natural tendency, like Adam did, then we become fallen. Uh, and I, I tell you, I, I think that what needs to be done more and more are, are the Christians who are faithful to stand up in public and be faithful uh, and, and not to surrender one little iota. We're not calling for a theocracy. We're not calling for a government that's, uh, you know, run on uh, – by you know, run by faith. If you don't belong to this denomination, you don't run for office. You don't serve in office. We're talking about returning to Christian moral ethics and values. They're the ones that built the nation. And as we got away from them, and as we remove God uh, from the schools and from the public square, uh, what what do you have then to to base on whether you're doing right or wrong? These kids, when they lose God, and they're and in their view is no afterlife, and there's no no God and no reason to support God then anything becomes possible. And, and, if you, and I believe that you can tie a lot of our ills right now to two things. One, the removal of God from the public square, where kids no longer look at things in right or wrong or just and right, and, and abortion, where we're killing kids in the womb. I mean, we're killing kids as they're coming out of the womb, and now in Virginia they want to kill kids after they're born and laying on the table. Uh, when, when you see that, then how does a kid ever get value for life? When he says, oh, I'm going to go to a school and shoot the school up, well, look, maybe we kill babies. We kill, you know, that's what you have to do. That's, that's the new uh, culture of the United States. It's not. And, and it will be. It'll sink further and further and further into the abyss unless Christians stand up and say no. Uh, there was a gay pride parade in um, Poland, uh, and the police were in the front of it lining up because Poland's a very Catholic nation. And, and a lot of the Christians, Catholics stood on the sidelines, were, you know, unhappy about it. But one kid, a 17-year-old boy, walked up to the line of police marching the parade with a, cru- with a cross in his hand and stood up and held up the cross, and the police stopped for a, minute, for a moment. This kid was risking everything uh, to stand up for Jesus Christ, and that's what we're going to have to do. Yeah, well, we have someone in the chat room that wrote, uh, it's from our friend Forbes, Wrote when there's no God in man's heart, the guy with the biggest stick determines your worth. When man thinks he's smarter than God, it ends in democide. And, and this is exactly what happened with Adam in the Garden of Eden. You know, when he didn't allow God into his heart, when he wanted to be smarter than God, when he ate of the fruit of, of the forbidden tree, man fell. And it's it's up to us to find God in our hearts right now. Um, but at one point in time, the church was the heart of the community. And we have now had our kids, several generations now, have been disassociated. The more we get technologically advanced and the more people sat in front of the boob tube or play with their smart device, they no longer have that interpersonal relationship with a fellow being. 
It's how many friends and likes you got on Facebook or Instagram or whatever the the latest craze and fad is on the social network system. And if you don't have 1,000 people following you, then you're a person of no worth. Instead of saying, hey, I've got a core group of friends that if I need something or I'm hurting or I just need someone just simply to talk to, I can turn around, knock on their door, they'll sit me down, they'll give me a cup of coffee, a slice of cake, we'll talk, and we'll have a relationship. That doesn't exist in today's society anymore. No, it, it truly does not. And, and But it, it, it's starting to develop more and more. For instance, at, at my church, we have a thing called small groups. I don't know if you've ever heard of them or not. It's where you get together with a group of uh, six to ten people from your church, and you may have 20 of these small groups. And you, you meet in the smaller group so you can get more intimate and personal with Christ and, and with your faith and, and talk about your faith. You're not as intimidated as standing up in a room of 40 people and talking. These are you know, you're usually with 10 people that you know or, or trust. Uh, and, and I've been in a couple of those, and I could see the awakening starting to happen in a lot of people. Uh, I, I really can. And it, it, you, you know Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, who wrote The Harbinger. Uh, and Jonathan uh, said to me one time, he said, John, he said, I am so excited about these times right now. And, and this was not long ago. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, there's no longer gray. We know where everybody stands. It's black or white. You're on one side or the other, but we know where others stand. So we know where the battle lines are. So now we can form our army and confront those front, confront the enemy head on. And that's what we have to do. Uh, this is very true. And for my church, we call them foyer groups. And people will meet in the living rooms of, of a friend. And there may be as little as three or four people. But you're in a comfortable group where you can discuss your faith and help it grow stronger. And once your faith starts to grow stronger, you're not afraid to step outside of your circle of comfort. I mean, for the longest time, I've kept my mouth shut. And <laughs> I'm a gregarious person, which is which is really you know funny for me to keep my mouth shut about my faith. But once I decided to come back fully to the strength of my faith, I'm not ashamed, afraid to wear my crucifix 24-7. And if I greet someone in public, I, I say hello to them and God bless you. I'm not afraid to say that because people go, you can't say Merry Christmas. You can't say Happy Easter. You can't say God bless you. And I don't care who you are, what gender, race, whatever. I'm going to greet you the same way I will greet anyone else with the love of God in me. And I will say, God bless you. And I have yet to this day had a single person say, how dare you say that to me? I've had every single person say thank you or smile and nod. I, I, I found the same thing, Annie. You know, I, uh, my wife and I started doing that also about a year ago. Uh, and, and I'm surprised. Sometimes they'll just smile at you. Sometimes they'll wink at you. Uh, but I've never had anybody say anything derogatory about it, derogatory to me. Uh, you know, and I've had so many people, uh, you know, like mine, like, thank you, because they can't say it in their store. They can't say it in their job, you know. Uh, but I don't care where I go. I say I don't care if I go into a, a public um, courthouse and uh, talk to someone. I say, oh, uh, thank you. God bless you and walk away. And I think as we start to do that, uh, the strength of that one statement that you're doing and, and a bunch of Christians like you are doing 
will really help revitalize our, our country and regain its strength back and regain its path back to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's, it's funny because, you know, I, I am now becoming more and more outspoken about my faith, which may annoy some of my listeners. I don't care. <laughs> anyway, um, my husband and I drove past this pickup truck, and it was obviously, you know, a Christian family in the truck. But I looked at his license plate, and I pulled out my cell phone, and I said, you know, that phrase, uh, that that number on the plate, looks so familiar. And I pulled out, and I pulled up the portable Bible on my phone, and yes, I have a Bible on my phone. And I looked up the number, and I forget what it was, um, but basically it says, stay strong in your faith even when you're challenged, basically is what the phrase was. I rolled down my window as my husband pulled up next to him, and I, the guy rolled down his, and I says, are you aware your license plate is the Bible, blah, 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 where it states? And he goes, no, I didn't. And I said, have a blessed day, drove away. And the guy and his wife just started talking, like, oh, wow, <laughs> this crazy white woman. <laughs> was able to quote the Bible to me. Uh, but, you know, you, you have to start the conversation somewhere. You, you really you really do. Look, Jesus said, uh, uh, you know, those that deny me, I will deny to my father. I mean, it's pretty direct. I mean, and, and so uh, when you look at the early Christians like you were talking, I don't, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Apostle, The Apostle Paul. Uh, the, um, the new one that came out a few years ago. I who think starred in so. it? Uh, Jim so. Caviezel starred starred in it. He plays yeah. Luke. He also played uh, Christ in uh, the uh, uh, Mel Gibson film. Yes, and, and this one it's called the Apostle Paul or Paul the Apostle. I can't remember how it is, and I'd recommend all your viewers watch it because if you look at that, this is where Paul or Luke. Uh, goes to Paul in Rome after he's in jail, and starts writing the Acts, the, the Acts of the Apostles. That the Acts are that was written during that time, and, and it shows very truly how uh, the Christians were facing persecution. Then, I mean, they were actually using a lot of the Christians. Nero blamed them for the burning of Rome. Uh, they were using them as human candles. They would put them up on poles, uh, douse them down, and then set them on fire. Uh, and how these Christians went into the arena afraid, but with faith. I mean, they were not going to betray God. Uh, and, and it's a great film to see if you want to understand what they went through um, back in, in the Roman days. And I'm going to tell you right now, if we don't start standing up soon, then we're going to be going through. We may not become human candles on a stick, but they are going to really try to sacrifice us. And we will we will certainly have a nation at war with itself, and we can't afford that. We, we just cannot. The world cannot afford it. Uh, right now we have, at Faith and Freedom, 6,909 uh, pastors and faith groups from around the world on our LinkedIn account uh, that we started uh, uh, four years ago. And we simply started by saying we're Faith and Freedom. We're going to stand with Jesus Christ no matter what the cost. Who will stand with us? And today we have 6,000, like I said, 909 uh, pastors, but it's the pastors from Africa uh, that wrote to me and, and said, John, the church in America has to stand strong. And I wrote back and said, oh, we're going to stand strong. And, and they wrote back and said, don't be so flippant with that answer. You don't understand. If the church in the United States falls, the rest of us don't stand a chance. And, and that's the importance of what's happening in the United States. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And it's funny because um, I now have a new pastor that they changed hands to the church a couple of years ago. But the previous pastor was doing a seminar on the truth of Islam. And it was hosted by a friend of mine and her husband, who happens to be an NCIS agent, uh, who served in uh, Iraq and worked with Muslims. Uh, So he was showing about radical Islam, Islamists, and so forth. And the pastor stood up and he goes, let me ask a question in the audience. How many of you are willing to stand up and fight back? And the only two people in the entire room that stood up was myself and my girlfriend who was hosting the thing with her husband. And the pastor looked at me, and I looked at my girlfriend, and I go, I know why I'm standing. She goes, yeah, I know why I'm standing, because I'm willing to take that. Because I know in the end, no matter what happens to me physically, God will have me. And you were talking about recent hospital visits, and um, I had an incident with C. diff. It's a condition where the good bacteria in your system is killed off and bad bacteria takes over and you're very infectious. And of course, I went into AFib at the same time. I'm lying on the bathroom floor in a fetal position and I was in so much pain. I started to pray and I was just said to God, God, I know no matter what happens, I'm ready for whatever you decide. Because I honestly thought I would die that afternoon. That's how bad I was. And as I opened my eyes, standing or kneeling above me was an EMS guy, a big burly guy with a beard. And I looked up and I said, okay, God, I got your answer as they wheeled me off. But he, you have to understand that no matter what happens, he's got you. Well, you really do. And I, I don't know if you remember from when you were a Catholic, um, any uh, St. Padre Pio? Uh, St. Padre Pio was during our lifetime, he was in World War II, and he used to hear confessions uh, from soldiers for 16 hours. Uh, and he had the gift of counsel, and he could actually see into a person's soul when they came in. Um, and he would tell them, you're not ready, go back out and get in line. You're not, I can tell you're not really ready to release all your, all your sin. Uh, and so, uh, but he was persecuted um, uh, by demons and and other things during his lifetime, he, they they would come into his room and he was completely beat up at night and he he stayed true to God and he asked God for the suffering. He said, "Let me suffer so that others will not have to." And he has a prayer uh, that I'll send to you, but I, I want to read it. It's a short prayer that your folks can. Th- this is what it's about and why we have to do it uh, because we're not always faithful. So here's the prayer. It's it's called "Stay with me." Stay with me, Lord, for it is necessary to have you present so that I do not forget you. You know how easily I abandon you. Stay with me, Lord, because I am weak and I need your strength that I may not fall so often. Stay with me, Lord, for you are my life, and without you I am without fervor. Stay with me, Lord, for you are my light, and without you I am in darkness. Stay with me, Lord, to show me your will. Stay with me, Lord, so that I hear your voice and follow you. Stay with me, Lord, for I desire to love you very much and always be in your company. Stay with me, Lord, if you wish me to be faithful to you. Stay with me, Lord, as poor as my soul is. I want it to be a place of consolation for you, a nest of love. Now, that's a powerful prayer. And that's a prayer from a man that was probably one of the most holy people I know in my Catholic faith, still telling God he wasn't faithful enough and he would desert him in a blank if God didn't stay with him. 
Wow. That is a powerful prayer. I, I, I do remember vaguely the story of him. Um, I, I, I'm having to wrap my brain, <laughs> this old brain, yeah. Uh, but I just wrote it down so I can I can pull it up and print it out and keep it with me uh, and keep it in my prayer book. Yeah. But uh, I, we've got a, a lively chat room in there. Um, <laughs> we've got one... Uh, he wrote that uh, demons are nothing. I was once married to the Antichrist. <laughs> uh, but he also put in the chat a very touching prayer. And I, I honestly, I would love to read it online, but I'm afraid I was going to start to cry. So I don't know, Curtis, if you think you can handle it, if you saw it Warp had posted. Because uh, I know I, the second I try to say it, I, I will cry. Uh, which part? Curtis, you, are you with me? Yep. Uh, if you listen, look up to where Vorp wrote the prayer. Dear God, um, thank you that, for another day in creation. Thank you for the opportunity to be a better man today, today than I was yesterday. Bless Annie and her chat room. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. I'm starting to cry. Amen. <laughs> I'm Amen. not emotional. <laughs> I'm not emotional, but these are the type of listeners we have because they will listen to the show and then they will spread it. And I know some of them do send them out, uh, send out messages to friends to just tune into it. So we spread the word every single day uh, by just talking of our faith. And as you said, you're working from within the Catholic Church to help bring it back to the scripture. And it's so important to do that. And, you know, I had mentioned something the Pope had done recently to my mom, and she just kind of like rolled her eyes. Uh, where do you see the church going with the Pope right now? Uh, one of the things I asked specifically why is because he made, um, a, I guess, I don't know, you would call it a treaty or an agreement with communist China uh, to expand the Catholic Church there. But to me, it is like shooting yourself in the foot because the Chinese government decides who the priests are uh, in the church and what is preached. Uh, so why relinquish control of the Catholic faith if you know communist China will still dominate it? Um, look, uh, what happened in China, uh, I'm, I'm trying to stay to my Catholic roots here and not um, condemn the Pope, but I, I just have to say it straight out and truthful. He sold out the the Catholic Church in China. He not only uh, allowed them to pick their own bishops, not even the church appoint them, but the, the communist government appoints who the bishops are. He's also asking the underground church to reveal themselves to the communists and unite with that church. Now, we work with uh, a, a nun uh, in, in China who is in the underground church in um for women who want to have third baby, but they're not allowed to have any more than two, uh, but they want to have the third. So they take them and they, they wait till the baby's born. And then they illegally assign that baby to another parent who has never had a child. So they, they can keep the babies alive. Uh, we, we haven't heard for her from her in quite a while. And we're afraid that that church, the underground church, the true Catholic church in China is being destroyed piece by piece. Uh, you know, don't ask me what's in the Pope's heart because I just don't understand it and I don't know. That synod he's having in, in the Amazon uh, and all the things he's doing where he's placing 
the environment uh, and immigration above same-sex marriage and abortion. Uh, the, the church, the Catholic church, not only the Catholic church, the Lutheran church, the Methodist church, the Episcopal church, uh, are all going through th- this schism where they're dirty dividing between the faithful and uh, the Gumbaya crowd. You know, there, there's a church up the street from me that says, uh, you know, uh, we're a transgender church. All transgenders are welcome. Come on, you know, it's time to celebrate transgenderism. And that's a sign out in front of their door. I mean, there are there are false prophets in every faith, and there are there are leaders in every faith that go astray and and turn their back on God for whatever reason. I I don't understand why God lets it happen other than to cleanse us, to wake us up. Uh, but the Catholic Church in China is in serious serious trouble uh, and, and being attacked. His actions were not good. Um, Cardinal Burke has tried to question him on it several times. Uh, Cardinal Mueller out of uh, um, Germany actually lost his job uh, at, at the Vatican as the, the Chief's Council of Doctrine. Uh, the St. Uh, John Paul uh, Shrine in Washington, D.C. has been re- all their, uh, the faithful who are adhering to John Paul's teaching, the second's teaching, have been removed. All the scholars have been put on leave. And all new uh, uh, priests are being, and scholars are being brought in that do not believe in the doctrine of the Catholic Church. So uh, this, this is what's happening, and this is the war that we're fighting. We're fighting a war from internally as well as externally, so we're fighting on two fronts, which means we have to fight harder. Absolutely, because uh, I don't know if I told you, but I know that my listeners know, and I talk about this all the time, my church itself is in a very fight for its life because at 1965, we had joined with the Episcopal Church in a trust uh, when the Episcopal Church started leaning extremely left and going with, you know, same-sex marriage and all the other liberal BS. We said, well, we're going to break this trust. We're going to go our own way with the Anglican Church of North America, and uh, we're going to go to <laughs> excuse me, arbitration um, in a couple of weeks. And see if we can at least retain our property, which is trying to close our doors in order to shut us up, in order to destroy our faith and force us into the Episcopal Church. Um, they want to shut us up by shutting our doors. And uh, it's going to backfire on them because if our doors are shut, we've already said we will assemble somewhere else. And we also found another church, a Baptist one, that says, well, we'll open your, our doors to you. Come here until you get yourself a new new property. Uh, we are being, like anyone else, persecuted, but not as bad as you see in China or in the Middle East or in Africa or anywhere else across the world, but it's, it's here in America today. Well, I, I, I can tell you that there are priests around the country right now <clears throat> who bishops are not, uh, for, for your listeners that aren't Catholic, for Catholics, communion, receiving the body and blood of Jesus Christ is important to us. Communion is everything. That's why we go to church. That's why we go to mass. Uh, and, and there are priests around the country who are saying to their bishops, I cannot serve communion to this politician because this politician is not in communion with Christ because he's supporting or she's supporting abortion. And there have been a lot of priests told the day you do not serve 
communion to the to a politician is the day is the last day you you act as a priest. You're done. So and there now there are other bishops who say to priests if you serve them you're done. You know so that's the war that's going on right now within our churches and it's it's going to take strong uh, men and women uh, to stand up for that. Part of that prayer I didn't read to you because it's really long, but part of it, which I like and it replies to us, is it says, stay with me, Jesus, for it is getting late and the day is coming to a close and life passes. Death, judgment, and eternity approaches. It is necessary to renew my strength so that I will not stop along the way, and for that I need you. It is getting late and death approaches. I fear the darkness, the temptations, the dryness, the cross, the sorrows. How Oh, how I need you, my Jesus, in this night of exile. And that's a good point, because we are, the faithful are, becoming the ones in exile. Not the ones that are against the church, but the ones that support the church. And we better stand up tall now, or we will be fighting from an exile position. Absolutely. And, you know, I I had mentioned with the previous guest, uh, Dr. Hartman, that, you know, our church does do missions. And I've got two very dear friends that are in China. And they are working with these kitchen uh, churches, uh, these people that will gather in basements, and warehouses, whatever, to practice their Christian faith. And they are the underground churches that the communist government wants to shut down. If these two people are caught, they're American citizens. And they can, and they're not, they're not young. And if they end up in one of these prisons, I don't see them ever coming home, honestly, alive. Uh, so I, I think of them every day. I pray for them every day as well as my husband. But there are other people around the world doing the very same thing they are doing. And we have missions in Africa, South America, and even in here in the United States, in the Appalachians, working down with flood victims down in, in uh, Louisiana and Texas recently. Uh, so we have to keep our faith strong. And don't worry about four walls and a door. Uh, we have to take it outside of the church and spread it. Well, the people are the church, not the walls. You know, that's who the church is. And, and so when we realize that, uh, you know, we can worship uh, and have freedom of religion anywhere we are, and that's why they're trying to kill it in the public square. They're trying to convince us that we can't. We're only Christians within the church walls. Well, we're not. Uh, you know, St. Michael, if St. Michael could drive Satan out of heaven and into hell, uh, we certainly can drive a few wayward uh, religious leaders uh, out of the church and into where they want to be, into a secular world. Uh, but we cannot let them force us to turn our backs on Jesus Christ. We cannot. Uh, I believe as long as we stay strong and we pray and we're faithful, and obedient and fight against uh, abortion, uh, that, that Donald Trump will be reelected and will, you know, and this time if he gets a Congress behind him that's strong and, and truthful and not establishment, but really like uh, uh, Mark Meadows and Jim Jordan, uh, then we, we could really do some things and changes in this country that will preserve our nation. If we don't, uh, this nation will crumble so quick. Be, you know, look, God... When the Jews made false idols when he got them out of Egypt, he, he let them wander the de- desert for 40 years. I mean, and, and every apostle but John was martyred. And they were the closest and the ones that Jesus loved so dearly. And he allowed them to be martyrs, martyred for the good of the faith. 
Well, what we have to do is stand up and say, we're, we're going to fight for the church now so that martyrdom doesn't have to happen. Uh, that's going to be uh, – uh, everyone is going to have to look into their own heart, into their own souls, and say, do you have the courage to do that? And the only way you're going to have courage to do that is to open your heart to God, knowing that no matter what happens, he has you. He has you in his hands. That, that's it exactly, Annie. All right, Curtis, we're down to our last uh, eight minutes here. Did you have a final question before we let John go? Oh, yeah. Where do you see this country going um, spiritually in the next um, 10 years um, if Trump loses? Uh, well, if Trump loses, two things are going to happen. First of all, they will pass the do-no-harm bill. I don't know if you know about that, but the do no harm bill <clears throat> says that you can do no harm to homosexuals, lesbians, gays, or transgenders. Uh, and in the bill, it says the churches have done substantial harm to that community. Uh, I, I think you're going to end up seeing uh, pastors and priests arrested. I think you're going to see churches closed. Uh, I think the church in the United States will go underground. Uh, it's going to have to go underground. Uh, I think you're going to see public ridicule and persecution by that by the community. You already have almost every tech company. The leaders are all in that community right now and working against faith. So I mean, I mean, if if he loses, I think that the being Christian is is going to be dangerous. I think you're going to see uh, bloodshed. I think you're going to see the work like you see with Antifa right now, uh, where they're saying that. Uh, you know, violence against uh, conservatives and right wing is necessary. It's essential. Well, just think if you have a government that supports that same viewpoint. Uh, I mean, we could have real, real chaos in our nation uh, if Donald Trump loses. There's not a single Democrat who would stand up for religious liberty running for president right now. Not a single one. And there's not a single one that will protect life. And there's not a single one that's going to protect any of us. Well, you know, we see the anti-Semitism on the rise here in the United States. So what makes us think that would we be safe? There was that uh, old saying came out of World War II. First they came for the Jews and I didn't speak. Then they came for the priests and I didn't speak. And as it goes down, finally they came for me and there was no one left to speak. Now we've got to speak out now. We've got to decry the anti-Semitism. We have to decry the attack on our on Christianity and we have to stand strong. Amen. Well, John, it has been so much fun. People can find you on your website, which is ffcdelaware.com, and then they can find Vote Kingdom from that. Is there another website that people can also reach you at? Because that's the only one I've, I've, I've known over the last few years. Well, we have one that we just put up that's being developed, and it's called ffchristiancitizenship.com. And that's a, a site where we have a manual in there, how to uh, create Christian action teams and Christian citizenship teams within your uh, church. It's free. Download it. Take it off there. Uh, we share it with you openly, and then that site will become stronger and stronger with our Christian citizenship and civics training that we'll uh, present, and I'll let you know when that happens. All right. That, that's FF what? It's FF Christian Citizenship spelled out, dot com. Okay, I'm writing it down so I can double check it out. And you had mentioned also uh, up on LinkedIn, uh, you had another site there for the uh, Faith and Freedom. 
uh, if you can send me that link on LinkedIn, I'd, I'd be glad to uh, join up on that group. Sure. It's it's not Faith and Freedom. It's under John Riddell. Oh, then I'm already there. That, that, <laughs> I have a, yeah, it's John Riddell, and I'll send you that link. Uh, we did it that way because then it's separate from our organization, and we could say anything we want on that site. <laughs> okay, and do. great. Well, John, uh, thank you. It has been a blessing. I mean, we had great guests. We have had you. We had uh, Dr. Alveda King, and we had Dr. Bruce Hartman. And it's been a faith and freedom show all day. God bless you for the hard work you do, sir. Well, God bless you all, and God bless all your listeners. And stay strong in Christ, everyone. God bless. Take care. All right. Curtis, uh, it has been, as usual, the three hours went like nothing. I want to thank everyone that participated in the uh, the studio, uh, the, the callers, as well as those in the chat room. And it looks like we may have been successful in getting the video up on YouTube. I have to double check to make sure there's no problem with the sound. Uh, so maybe we're back up on the mm-hmm. podcast, on the video cast. Again, thank you, everyone, for joining and participating. Um, Curtis, I'll talk to you over the weekend so we can get Friday's show up because you've got people and I've got people. We've got to get our people to meet in the middle here. Very well. So uh, I'll leave everyone with our closing song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. So until then, I say good night and God bless.